Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Phil's Recap and Review, The Sopranos, Season 1, yeah. Episode 1, The Pilot. And I am here today to talk about The Sopranos, and we're starting a new adventure. We're going to go through the entire Sopranos series, and today with me isn't Dirty Locks. It is someone else that's dirty, related to Dirty Locks. Dirty Locks' cousin, no, not really, but Dirty Locks and I's very good friend from the time we were growing up, Big Daddy Matt. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Matt Matt and I have I've known Matt since probably around the third grade and we've uh, we've grown up. We used to play a lot of video games together and I mean we've just known each other for a really long time. Yeah, and, it's like twenty five years now. It's all longer. It's like closer to thirty years than yeah, twenty five. It's disgusting. But but one thing we've been talking about a lot, especially since I've started podcasting, Matt used to come a lot onto the old radio show that I did on WMWM. But Matt and I have been talking a lot about our favorite TV shows and a show that's very connected to me, very connected to Matt, very connected to Joe, who's going to join us occasionally in these podcasts, is The Sopranos. And Matt and I have constantly been batting the question back and forth, Sopranos or Breaking Bad is two of our favorite series. And we're going to start this now and start by reviewing all of The Sopranos in its entirety. Now, to give you a little information about Matt and Joe, Joe and I compared to The Sopranos, The Sopranos was a show that was probably one of those first, like, must-see, like, you have to see it, have to see what happens next shows in my life that I really remember like that, to the point that when we lost HBO and I didn't have HBO at my house, Joe and I, both of us, would show up at Matt's apartment unannounced, knocking on his door on Sunday evenings just so we could watch The Sopranos. And I didn't have a couch. I pulled out, like, chairs from the kitchen and we sat on those. Yeah, like, it was, That's what it was. Yeah. It was. And, and we would just, we'd, you'd have to watch it to a certain extent. And the age that we live in in television where everything is these longer story arcs really did become, and I'm not going to say started because you had shows like St. Elsewhere, Oz, Deep Space Nine, uh, a lot of other programs that did it. But The Sopranos really catapulted this era of television that we're into. I think it was the starting point. It was the, yeah, there were rock and roll bands before before you know Elvis or rock and roll people before Elvis or before the Beatles, but the one that broke through and let everyone else be known was The Sopranos, in my mind. Right. And so we thought about some a fun thing to do. So we're going to go back and we're going to recap the entire series. And if you want to join us and share your thoughts of The Sopranos, Episode 1, and any of The Sopranos, you can jump in the chat live with us while we're recording this live. If you're listening to this later on iTunes, we record this on uh, on YouTube, so subscribe to Fill the Issues Guy YouTube page so you can find out when we do these live. Uh, and But if you're listening to this at a different time, you can email me at igotissuesman at gmail.com. You can even call us in here at 781-990-8509 and ask us questions. And uh, we're going to be going all through this. And uh, we also, not we're not alone. Also, we have with us our good friends in the chat. How's it going, chat? Our good friend Tim. How's it going, Tim? And Tim says, nah, Deep Space Nine uh, started all in Phil. Grow your beard, start it all over again. Yeah, I have to start from scratch. I actually had to shave it for, a, uh, for an audition for something. So it's growing all back. And then right after audition, they're like, you look better in the beard. Grow it back. And Tim also says, let's see how the all new different Joe does. Oh, my God. All the pressure. I, I love it. I know. The pressure to be, to be dirty locks. So we're really happy to have you here, Matt. Thanks for finally, and this I think is officially, if we have to say it, it's officially Matt's first podcast, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, this is the first time Matt is podcasting. Uh, Sopranos came later. Hey, Tim. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for checking us out. And we'll see if we can, you know, this is our first broadcast of it. So we appreciate anyone that's coming in and checking us out live talking about the Sopranos here. So it's our, it's our pilot episode. So. It, it is. So we might work out some kinks. It is definitely our pilot episode of the Sopranos. And you know what? Matt and I just, we need excuses to Yenta. We Yenta really well. He's one of my yeah. favorite Yenta people. So so let's get into this. Now, before we get into the actual episode of The Sopranos, it's interesting to mention how The Sopranos came to be. Now, originally, when David Chase conceived this idea, he wanted it at idea. He wanted it as a movie, and he shopped it around for a movie for several years, and the script always got rejected. No one wanted to make this. I think because the world, and it's interesting to think, I know a lot of people of this modern generations that I, that heard all of us, Matt, say that The Sopranos is the greatest show of all time, and they there's a, there's a backlash towards that, where people are like, yeah, The Sopranos wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. And and I understand that, that philosophy. It's, in a sense... It needs to be understood that it came out before a lot of these shows like Breaking Bad and a lot of these other things. So it set the groundwork for a lot of things. But at the time, what I think made it so great, even in this first episode, is at the time we were so ingrained to things like The Godfather, uh, which was in the 70s, but through the 70s, 80s, and the 90s, where mafia movies were such a mainstay of everything. You just you every year Mickey blew up. I mean, I could go on for a long time about how many ridiculous mafia type movies there were, and The Sopranos kind of just kicked all of their asses. It it, yeah. it took it t- took what you expected from that genre, and in that first episode, right right away when Tony goes into his speech to Milfi, you it's something different. You know, it's something completely different. Now, what was your first experience watching The Sopranos? Did you watch it from the beginning, or what season did you come in? I want to say I probably came in around season. There was a total of six, right? And the second one was cut in half. Yeah, I came in probably around end of season four, beginning of season five. But what I did was I actually, you know, at the time I think Comcast released like each season at a time, so I binge watched each season and caught up sometime around the beginning of season five and then watch season five and six live when it happened absolutely so i in the period and it was like crazy because i did it in like the period of a month so you start talking like them and thinking about it because it's non-stop like hour after hour after hour it's like when you play too much gta and you actually start you go up to a stoplight and like i can get out and then grab that guy's car that's what I started thinking like. Um, but so I probably watched the last two seasons live. Now, I want to mention something before we go any further to anyone who happens to be watching this. If this exists, someone who's watching us that has not watched the series The Sopranos yet. This is not going to be like Joe and I's Game of Thrones rewatch where we're jumping in the DeLorean and going back in time. We're going to talk about this referentially that we can talk about the end, the beginning and make references to things that set up we're set up. This is going to be a kind of like a look back at it, not a first time pretending like we're watching it for the first time, because I want to mention something that Tim says right off the bat. Well, the end of the Sopranos kind of made the whole thing bad. And I think that's something I want to look at and talk about right now as we start, Matt, ask that question. Cause I agree that the Sopranos ending kind of bites. I don't think it's a good ending. It can- I agree. And, but does the end if if you run through if you run through like a pile of like naked women giving you chocolate bars and at the end you have to jump in a pile of shit does it make walking through the naked women not worth it i still think the adventure of going through all those naked women was worth it to jump in the shit 
I do, and I think at the time, well, sadly, when it happened, it, you always said, okay, well, there's going to be more. They're going to do a movie. And unfortunately now, there's no chance that's ever going to happen. And to just So I can always kind of tell myself, like, all right, they, this isn't the actual end. This will happen at some point. They'll tie this together. They're setting this up for a movie. And obviously with James Gandolfini not around, that's not happening anymore. And absolutely, uh, Joe, uh, Joe, I just almost called you Joe, Matt. Matt, it's all right. it's all right. the... <laughs> The thing is, I agree with you 100%, and I also think that because of that, because of the, I think Chase always figured he'd make a movie at some point, no matter what yeah. he said. And at least leave the door open for it if he decided he wanted to at some point. And that's why you get the amb the uh, the fucked up ending. You, yeah. You know, that's why you get that kind of ending where he doesn't make a decision. He wants to keep you on the fence there to so he can make a decision either way. So if there's so if no one agrees to a movie, you can't do it because even in the series towards the end of it, excuse me, when we get into the last season, there's this whole side plot that never really gets explored about some of Tony's people are now working for the FBI and the FBI is building this case on him through the entire season. Right. Right. That never pays off. That always led to me to believe that the movie was going to be the trial of Tony Soprano and him having flashbacks of different times in his life while he was while he was on trial. And I think Gandolfini, right before he died, he did some movie called The Drop, which is uh, on HBO Go. If you haven't seen it, it's a really awesome movie where he's almost playing a Tony like character. I think Gandolfini would have eventually gotten to the place where he would have wanted to play Tony again. It's. It, I think I understand where at first he didn't want to do that and didn't want to do characters like that, but I think he would have gotten to that place eventually. Yeah, and he was, you know, from what I read at the time, he was kind of all set with Tony towards the end. Uh, I believe the point for him was what, what happened with him and Christopher, the way Christopher ended, if you will. I don't want, I don't want to, like, yeah, spoil no. that yet. I know we're gonna, we can talk about it, but, like, he even said, I'm kind of all set with this character at this point. Like, that, was, that crossed the line for him when it happened. I think him... Absolutely, Matt. I think him and Chase, and that's why you get a lot of the horrible things Tony does in the final season, because leading up to this, and especially as we're going to get talking about our first season and our first and our second season, these people are really glorified, and their bad deeds are sort of grazed, glazed over, right. and we look at these people as heroes, like you would look at Jesse James' gang or something like that if you were watching an old, old Western. And it's interesting to note that in the last season— both James Gandolfini and David Chase both wanted to make sure to remind you that Tony, yes, in fact, is a fucking sociopath. Yeah, you stop rooting for him at the end. Exactly. Uh, you're rooting for his side, which is weird because you somehow you want, you know, Polly to end up on top. But like, <laughs> you know, you're still rooting. You're not obviously rooting against Tony at the end, but you, you realize that it's almost easier to let go because you're like, how am I rooting for this person anymore? How do I really want to see what happens to this guy anymore? But, Tim says, well, I was born in 85, so it came out when he was in high school. That would be interesting to, to the Sopranos to have been out when you were in high school. And and uh, and and was it something that people were into in your school were people talking about the Sopranos were they, or is that, or would you say that it was more something that their, your parents show? My point is uh, I kind of was in and out for the first time later on, went back to watching it all the way through. Okay. So we kind of just answered my question right there during, at the time you were in and out, not really watching it occasionally picking up an episode, but by the end, then you rewatch the whole thing. And, and okay. And it's fair to say the question that we're going to keep hanging out there, like a matzo ball in the wind is does the ending screw up everything that happens? Or can we look at, to me, The Sopranos comes off more like each individual chapter is its own universe into itself. I think at certain point in time, 
And as we get in, into season, later parts of season two, and really when we get into four and five, it seems like they try to bridge everything together into one coherent universe. And I think where The Sopranos isn't as successful as some later shows in the same like long drama thing is keeping it as one big world. Each season feels very individual to the to other season. And then it always seems like there's going to be this bigger mystical thing going through it all. But really it's just a deeper look at the realities of their life. And at the end, you're just like, okay, it is what it is. It's about a fucking mafia guy. Yeah. But that, but, but then of course we're sprinkled through with all the dream sequence episodes and all the, the Kevin Finnery shit. So we're going to go from well, part here. Of it, part of it is you talked about how it's the first show to do this. And like, they don't, you know, they have no idea if this is going to last one season, two season, three seasons, four seasons, nothing had had that hype where there was that almost, almost that pressure on the people to create, to keep creating mm-hmm. that huge, you know, that hugely successful product where people had no idea, like, okay, how long is this supposed to last for? Is this supposed to last for 10 years? Is it supposed to last for three years? Where I think when, by the time Breaking Bad comes out, he kind of knows it's going to be the number of seasons that it is, and that's it once it catches mm-hmm. on. And you can kind of plan for the arc to end at a certain point, where this was, let's see what's going to happen. Exactly. And then eventually it just, it got, because, and that goes back to what we were saying originally uh, when we started this uh, conversation, that originally this was passed around like a script, like for a movie, and people didn't like it. Eventually, uh, Lloyd Braun, David Chase's agent, suggested to him that he turn it into a television series and add a little bit more comedy because of uh, certain referential comparisons in the sense that both were written individually, but it had some comparisons to analyze this and all that sort of thing. So it was developed a little bit more satirical and because initially it was a lot about David Chase's life. Not that he was a mafia guy, but he had a similar relationship with his mother that Tony has with the, had with his mother. So he kind of wrote this from a place of his own, own volition, which hence, as we'll get into it when we start talking about season three and the original idea for the ending of The Sopranos, which had to get all fucked up because one of the characters, one of the actors or actresses died during the filming. The end of The Sopranos would have had a bit, a lot more to do with Tony's mother and theoretical end of the series. From what I've heard from Chase saying, the original idea for the end of the series is would be ending with Tony finally killing his mother. His mother in season three testifying against him because of the airplane stuff that's set up in season two. And in season four, she's in witness protection program. He's constantly trying to find her. And the series ultimately ending in season five or six with him catching her and killing her. So it, that, it's interesting to say that David Chase also had to completely change things up in season three. And it's, it's noticeable and becomes a very different show in season three and onward, I think. The first two seasons, again, have a little bit more of a continuity to it. I know. You got huge problems with season three. I, know I do. Know. I have huge problems. We'll, we'll get there, though. But there's right. also – I also want to mention something before we get started that uh, some gentleman named Robert Bayer from New Jersey uh, – sued David Chase saying that he was as big a part of writing the Sopranos pilot script as David Chase was. And for whatever it's worth, it all got settled out of court. And he, he did, Chase did end up paying this guy a settlement of some sort. So it's worth mentioning that probably is true. 
So we go to the casting of the Soprano series, and a lot of the cast of the Soprano series was in the movie Goodfellas. Do you realize how many members were in Goodfellas? 27 actors total that were in that Goodfellas movie were in uh, were in the Sopranos at one point. In Not the in the pilot, but eventually. But eventually saying. in the Sopranos. But yeah. in the pilot, we got Lorraine Bracco, Michael and Michael uh, Christopher Moltisanti, and uh, Polly were all in the uh, were all right. in uh, Goodfellas. And in fact. Lorraine Bracco, uh, Milfi, was one of the first people cast in the series. And initially... And she, was, she was supposed to be Carmelo originally, Absolutely, right? yes. But she felt like it was too close to her characters in uh, character in Goodfellas. Which is interesting to note that the mother on The Sopranos that plays Carmela's mother is the plays... Uh, plays Milfie's mother in Goodfellas. I know it gets a little confusing here, but it's the same woman that plays Milfie's mother. So you can tell why they cast her because they brought, they wanted to bring the mother and daughter over from Goodfellas. And, uh, what was it? What was great is that if you were an FBI, you watch this and you're a mob guy, you watch it and you have it all. I agree with that. And I think because of the Sopranos, Again, influencing having shows like The Wire later on, the Sopranos did a good job of, yes, it was from the Mafia's perspective and it was from Tony and all his people's perspective, but at different times in different episodes. Uh, there's one episode in particular I'm thinking about, uh, Mr. Somebody's Neighborhood, I believe it's called, where we get the focus completely from the FBI's perspective. There's times when we get it from uh, Dave Scatino, the guy who uh, gets this, his whole business busted up by Tony. We get a lot of perspective shifts on The Sopranos, which is very good. Gandolfini got the part because of his role in True Romance. Carmela Soprano uh, got her part. Edie Falco got, basically got her part because of being on the HBO series Oz and being in the HBO wheel bucket, and they, and they wanted to use her, which is interesting because her character got let – did you ever watch Oz, Matt? Like three episodes years okay. ago when it was originally on. Her character got left at kind of a cliffhanger on Oz, and then the season ended, and then the next season she just comes on and says, I met some guy in Europe. I'm leaving you that's for it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Done. And Steve Van Zant, who is uh Sill, a lot of people know this, but some people might not. Silvio Dante is a guitar player for the Bruce Springsteen E Street band. He, who, he was a friend of David Chase, who's also from New Jersey, who knew Springsteen and kind of had a relationship with him. He knew Sill, asked Sill to come in and read for Tony initially. He, was he so, never acted before. He never acted before, and they wanted him to play Tony Soprano. But he wasn't quite right for the part of Tony, and they wrote the part of Sill just for him. Very and, you end up, and you end up a lot of the great music that was ever in that show. Part of it was his you know, his influence, he would talk to David Chase about it and try to get some of those songs in there. Cause that's one of the best parts of the show. Absolutely. It's the music throughout the whole, you know, and all I, the season. I was going to say that right away with the theme song. It just sets the tone for, for awesome music throughout the series. But you, but you know, what's funny. I've seen an interview with Silvio and he says, Oh, I thought that song was a little too obvious in the beginning. You know, it comes on, I got a gun, like it's too obvious, but it was amazing when I watched the show and I turned it on. And I haven't seen a Sopranos in a couple of years at this point. My wife and I used to watch one like randomly, but that's still the sound I wait for after yep. the HBO thing comes up. I still wait for that little that wow, little wow, wow. sound to yep. kick in. I know, and it's once that kicks in, it just it gets you, it, it grabs yeah. you so well. Well, most people who are in Oz were in SVU. Absolutely, there was definitely some Oz. No, I heard an FBI wiretap where they were listening to them talking about the Soprano. That's that is interesting, and that goes to I remember in the in real and olden times, back in like the '60s and stuff. 
uh, the mafia would be tapped and you'd hear them talking about how much they like they loved Frank Sinatra or loved uh, the you know like the Godfather movie in the seventies or something. When it really comes down to it, the, also there is some refer there is some rumors that Polly, who uh, Tony Circo is that his name I believe. Uh, I think it's Circo, but yeah, Circo. I don't know how it's pronounced, but is was actually connected on some level to the point yeah. where his only uh, rule for being signed onto the show was he could not never be, be a rat, never be a rat. And that was something I remember we talked about at the time when it was on, like when we were trying to figure out who rats were, we're like, but it can't be Polly. Polly said he'd never be a rat. And I also do want to mention that uncle junior, uh, Dominic Ch- Chaziz or something. I don't know how to pronounce his fucking name was in Godfather two. He played, uh, Johnny Olaf in Godfather 2. So there's so much connection to all the mafia films of old. And I feel like I'm not even giving... Phil Leotardo was in... uh... Everything. Yeah, everything. Burt Young. Burt Young was actually who comes in eventually and plays Feech LaMata, was was also brought in to read for Tony. No, no, that's... that's, Oh, no, your Feech LaMata is... No, that's Robert Loggia that plays Feech LaMata. Okay, okay. And what did you just say? Frank? No, Frank Young plays... Um, Burt Young plays uh, Bobby Bacala's father. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Polly from... Uh, from Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, Ren Ren. Gosh, I just watched The Godfather 1, 2, and 3 yesterday. I had to make a pot of spaghetti and it ended at midnight. Ren, just so... I mean, Ren knows what happened with me. When I was in the hospital, I was like laying in the hospital bed for two weeks. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, not two days. Excuse me, not two weeks. Two days. And I was like, oh, shit. What am I going to do in the hospital? But there's nothing on hospital television. Click, click. And then... Congratulations, Godfather Marathon. I'm like, yes! <laughs> My life cannot get better than this. I'm like, holy shit, this is going to be the easiest hospital stay ever. They get the Godfather. But yes, it's and welcome so much, Ren Renwood, for joining us. And uh, so, yeah, there were so many people in back and forth in different mafia movies. Several, well known, uh, several well-known actors also appeared in just a couple episodes. Ben Kingsley, Kingsley's in a couple episodes. Uh, Annette Benning's in a weird episode. Uh, uh, who's the guy? Why can't I remember his name? He is the, he's the orderly in the hospital where... Um, Robert Patrick. Johnny Sack is. No, Johnny Sack at the end. Who's the guy that's like his friend in the hospital? Oh, bed? I know who you're talking. I can't think of the name, but I know who you're talking he's about. He's an actor and he died. No, he's like a director and he died afterwards. I can't believe I don't remember his name. Tim but. King's in it. We also have Robert Patrick's in an episode. Steve Buscemi, obviously, who comes on right. and later to be on Boardwalk Empire, a show that I just finished as well. And I don't know if you watched that map, but it's worth a watch. I don't know if Joey Pants is a celebrity or is more of a celebrity for being on the show, but like obviously he was in there. It's, it's uh, David Lee. David Lee Roth was in one of the poker games. David Lee Roth was uh, so was Lawrence Taylor was in one of yeah. the poker games. We had a lot of stars, especially once the show hit, wanting to be on there. And right, right. Jo- and I agree with with the Joey Pants thing. Joe, when Joey Pants came on the show, it really elevated it again to another level. Why? How he was introduced was 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 interesting, and we'll get to that when it happens. But right. he, but he really was a big part of the fundamental. F- just Big Pussy was another big part of it. These elements that became such iconic forms on The Sopranos to the point at the end where, spoiler alert, most of them aren't around. And still, when people think of The Sopranos, they think of Big Pussy. They think of right. Polly. They think of Syl. They think of like, Tony. It's that big group. It's this first season and a half, that re- two seasons that really pushes it. So, okay. Mm. 
Where we go. Let's so let's get into this. So uh Daniel Baldwin's also in an episode in the Cleaver episode, which I do want to say yeah. that there is also there's there's always already like a Cleaver Cleaver reference in this opening episode. It's interesting to see. Yeah. It's interesting to see like all the touches that they went back and and definitely paid attention as they went on in the series. So, and oh, the last thing I want to uh, bring up before we get into the episode, and, and usually we'll just get right into talking about the episode, but I think it's important this first time we come out here that we give a couple, a little bit of historical or whatever uh, reference to the Sopranos and just, you know, what makes us Sopranos fans. To answer, your, to answer my question to you, I also started watching it around season four. I believe it was the uh, end of season three, beginning of season four, and then I went back and binged watch it. Uh, and that was harder back then. You'd have to, it was really difficult to binge watch stuff. You'd have to wait for the HBO marathons and then, yeah. and then watch them that way. And then I watched those remaining seasons live as they aired, whether it was at your house, whether it was at my house when I still had HBO, whether I remember... Ilya, going, Ilya had it at one Ilya point. Ilya had it at one point. I remember at that time period, you could go out to bars and watch The Sopranos. A right. couple of bars in that last season would show Sopranos episodes. So it, it was really... It was a cultural phenomenon for a little while there. It really was. It really was. Uh, so how do you guys think these guys would do in The Walking Dead? How do I think Big Pussy, My Pussy? Oh, I love that line. Yeah, do you think he'd touch My Pussy? My, big, no, the other pussy. How do I think these guys would do in The Walking Dead? I think, I think Tony would probably do pretty well in The Walking Dead. I think his problem would be he'd probably kill everyone around him because ultimately he wouldn't trust anybody. But I think from a standpoint of keeping himself away from people and understanding the concept of trust no one, keep your family close, I think Tony would probably do pretty well. I think most of the Soprano people would probably do pretty well in the zombie apocalypse, personally, except for Polly and Christopher, as we've seen in Pine Barrens. They would freak the fuck out. <laughs> That's the closest assumption, closest approximation we can get to these guys in the zombie apocalypse is in Pine Barrens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Red, big pussy or little pussy? I just love my pussy. Hey, Red. That's making me feel uncomfortable because I know you're a girl. No, I'm kidding. So that's the most sexist thing I've said all day. So anyways, um, I think Ren is a, like, like your wife, Matt, a, a girl from Texas. Your wife is originally from Texas, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. I, th I think Ren is also uh, from, the state of, from the state of Texas. So, okay, so the episode uh, was written by David Chase, and it's also directed by David Chase. It was originally aired on January 10th, 1999, but the episode was filmed a long time before. So there's a lot of differences between the pilot and episode two, and we're going to get through this. There's a lot of really big differences to the point where I think they changed a lot. There's a lot of speculation that they changed a lot between episode one and two. A couple of really glaring um, omissions or things that are said in this episode. The most one other thing too. This is the David Chase only actually directed two episodes: the yeah. pilot and the final episode. Yeah. And that was it. So it's one of the two that he actually directed himself to. Good point. And do you know what the thing I'm talking about mainly, Matt, is? It, the thing that changed. No, the main thing, the main difference from the pilot until the until episode two. The big, big thing that that just jumps out of nowhere that is Jackie Jr. He does not, not Jackie Jr., Jackie Sr. Jackie does Jackie not, Senior, yeah. doesn't exist. In fact, three different times in the episode one, people call Tony the boss of New Jersey. Yeah. So it is speculated, and Chase has basically said in the first drafts of the script, Tony's already the boss. and Because in the movie, he was supposed to just be the boss, and Junior kind of runs his own crew, independent from Tony. But Tony's... He 
you have no idea what the actual, the real like hierarchy is in the first episode. As I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, I see in hindsight, I thought Tony, if I remember, like Tony, you see him rise up through this. But when you, when I watched the, the pilot, it's, he's already there. He's already can, you know, consider the boss. Everyone already know who he is. Yep. And, and that's because in the, let's just cut through the shit sandwich here, Matt, in this first episode, Tony's the boss. They they right. do, they add a lot of things afterwards. Christopher doesn't have Brendan with him either. We don't have any Brendan, and uh, Junior doesn't have Mikey, which are all big things that all come in episode two. And Bobby Bacala is not around. Bobby Bacala is not around. You don't see him at all. But but I'm saying even these big people that become big part of certain one, you know, of those three people, they get they get they get a buddies so to speak. Right. And also to mention, Sill acts like. Tony and Artie haven't seen each other in a while and still also acts kind of like he's not completely part of the crew. Like he's his own independent contractor. He says, Oh, the drinks, Hey, the drinks are on me when he goes up to the table where any other time, or he says, he tells the girls, Oh no, they don't charge them or something like that. When they're sitting at, uh, at, at the bing where any other time that's just assumed. He doesn't need mm-hmm. to tell them that Tony doesn't pay for his drinks at the bank. Exactly. Adriana is also in the episode, but she's not yeah. Adriana yet. She's playing hostess. But later they recanonize it by making her making them say that she worked as the hostess at a restaurant. But right. it's a different restaurant. It's not Vesuvio that she's working at in this episode. And Christopher has some other Gumar. Tony's Gumar is played by a different character, but is the same right. actor. The priest is played by a different actor, but it's the same character. There's a couple of little things here and there. Tony's accent is way different. Tony's it's off. It's, it's terrible. Off. It's terrible. Tony's really, really thin as well in the episode, or James Gandolfini's really thin in the episode. So there's a lot of little differences that are worth pointing out as we head into our premiere episode of The Sopranos, which again gets kind of recanonized. Some people call it the pilot. On the when it's on on television, it's called the pilot. When it's on the DVDs, it's called The Sopranos. For our purposes here, we're going to call it the fucking pilot. Hey, you know what? There, there have been way worse pilots than that. You oh. know, for sure, you weren't definitely going to get green lighted. It wasn't perfect, but they could be. It could be way worse than that. And it's interesting that it got shopped around for a couple of years before someone picked it up. Because, because I don't think it's bad. I think it definitely shows where the series could go. And it's 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 interesting that it took a while for HBO to agree to make it. Yeah. So. Okay, so right from the get-go, we get that theme song. It just grabs you. Some people say the theme doesn't matter of a, a show, or some people can say it's too obvious, like Matt said. But no show, I think, spells it as well right from the beginning, and it just works. And I guess they were trying a lot of different songs, and that one just... There's just something magical about that, as Matt mentioned earlier. I guess they had trouble with the theme, and they got it at the last minute. They heard it. Excellent choice. I believe it's by the, song, the band Alabama. I could be wrong about that. So, uh, and also, it's worth mentioning that the title card for in the original view airing of the pilot got changed and added the gun to it and all that stuff because there was a big uh jamie lee jamie lynn sigler whatever her name is meadow soprano when she auditioned for it with the name the sopranos she thought it was a musical yeah and and then several people which just read the scripts and saw the name the sopranos thought it was a musical so they ended up having to change the name or change the title card to make it more obvious that it's not a, not a uh, movie, not a show about opera singers or something. Right, right. So anyway, so we open up in a psychiatrist office. We got the New Jersey mob boss Tony Soprano. He's in the framed, and he's framed in between two naked legs of a sculpture. 
And he just looks frustrated as hell as he's uh, looks really confused. Like he's given the uh <laughs> and Jennifer Melfi opens the door and it's uh it's again uh someone we're very familiar with. And I think that's another thing about the Sopranos, as we mentioned. We we mentioned this a few times. Because it has so many actors from the Goodfellas, from The Godfather, from all those types of things, everyone feels familiar to you. It really has the sense of family. So Milfi opens the door, invites Tony to enter her office. They meet, and he politely closes the door. And right from the very moment of a couple moments of uncertainty in an un- awkward silence, he looks up smiling in that Tony way. He definitely looks like Tony in this episode. And she begins saying, uh, you're referred to by Dr. Kuzumato, blah, blah, blah. And he says, he's, it, I heard you had a panic attack. He's like, nope, that's what they say. But they did uh, all the work. You know, everything's good. She asks him what he does for a job. We get into the waste management consultant. And she goes, yeah, right. And from the very beginning, what, what's your impression of the dynamic between the two of them? For, I'm going to back up one second. Okay. The first thing, when that shot, when it opens up, I think what is amazing about it when I watch it again is you immediately see how incredible the cinematography is from the very first shot of it. They do this really right after it cuts out between the legs. There's a long shot of Tony, like in the angle that it takes on the room. It's that same like grandiose cinematography that goes on throughout The Sopranos for yeah. like right for from the go. You're right, Matt. Right from the go, you you feel that this is going to be high. It was art. meant to be watched on an HD TV, and you know that right away as soon as it opens up. You know it's going to be high quality. Everything about it. Um, yeah, I. It, it's Tony and Melfi from the very beginning, you know, right when he starts talking to her, you know, he, he's, they go right into it. They go, you could see, you could see why they wanted to cast her as his wife. And you can see that several times in the series that if she was Carmela, it would have worked too. I I think, I mean, but Carmela was amazing. No, that that, we're going to get to, we're going to get to her. We're going to get to her real quick. She was next level. Amazing. But I think it would have worked with her too. I just think, I think Edie Falco, they had a they had a gem there, and they didn't realize like this is Edie Falco. Like I'd argue that she is as good playing Carmela as Tony is playing Tony by the end of the series. She is she's amazing. Yeah. You you hate her so much, and I we got Tim, who's a Game of Thrones fan, who hates Cersei. Cersei and Carmela are one A, one B. Carmela is next level because because Cersei fucks up a lot. Okay, Carmela doesn't really fuck up. She does occasionally, but she's calculating as shit, and she's just she's dangerous on every level. Dangerous, but rightfully, rightfully so. I would be too if I was married to Tony. Absolutely. And we got Sam. Welcome, Sam. Oh my God, I love the Sprouts. No idea you were you were watching this as well. And I joined the chat. Hi, everybody. Clumsy Toaster. Hey, buddy. I was always taken out by the meta moments. Lots of references to True Romance, Goodfellas, while using actors from True Romance and Goodfellas. Yep. I mean, I I get I get that. There is a lot of meta moments like that in The Sopranos, and especially when you watch them back in a time capsule, it's easy to notice all that. I think because we're hyper aware of that in the culture we live in now, at the time, some of that went over my head, especially the true romance stuff because I didn't know that movie as well. But there's a lot of, lot of Goodfellas references in the first season and and throughout, like with the Christopher shooting the guy in the foot, like all, all that stuff, it happens. I mean, there's so, so many, like, little back and forth. I can understand why that would could take you out there. Oh, I will say this. As some other shows and movies have showed ultra-realism, right from the get-go, even though The Sopranos reflects reality, it's, you're, in a, you're not in a real world, I would argue. I would say there's a sense of 
mysticism to it all if, without throwing it in a better way? Matt, you look like you disagree. Tell me I'm wrong. Go ahead. Don't be afraid. I just think that The Sopranos could be happening somewhere. That's it. Okay. I never for a second think that Breaking Bad could be happening somewhere because there's Although, having said that, there's a scene in the first episode, we haven't gotten into it yet, which mm. doesn't line up with stuff that would have happened afterwards. I mean, I don't know how else I would picture the Mafia operating. This is what I picture it to actually be like, is based on The Sopranos at this point. Mm -hmm. I think that somewhere it could be that corrupt, even if not in this day and age. The way that it works, I think, could have happened at some point. Good. That's all. No, no, that's good. that is a good point. And Sam, if you can hear me, try refreshing and lowering your settings. Everyone else tell me, am I coming through okay? Is this an everybody problem or is it a connection on her level? Uh, hello, Darth Sandwich. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, I know, Tim, you love Cersei, but you love, I mean, I, I, said, I think I said you hate, but I mean you love her, her as an evil character. She makes the show for you in some ways because she, she messes up the apple card because she's, you know, that, that, that person you can't, you can't quite put your finger on because she's always fucking stuff up in some ways. Carmella's not like that. Carmella is just calculating evil uh, has her agenda that she wants to do. And the evil thing about Carmela is, again, to say connect with what you were saying, Matt. I know people like Carmela. She exists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one time I get on this live show, and it's not a show I've ever watched. That was a weirdly sentence. Sorry, Dart Sandwich. <laughs> Run for the hills in case you ever want to watch this. I don't tell people to leave, but I don't want to. This is gonna be. This is like the spoil fest '97 oh, here. It's definitely worth watching too if you haven't seen it. Before. Yes, also audio video isn't synced, but both coming in good. Okay, audio video is never fucking synced in uh, this Google Hangout bullshit. I can see. I can see that my audio is not synced. It looks like I'm a ninja. That's that's why I usually put this over my face so it's less noticeable. <laughs> and who wants to look at this fucking ugly face? Let me just block this shit. Yep. Hey, everybody. Okay, so let's continue on to our thing. So this is just a great scene right right from the beginning, as Matt said. We get into a flashback of Tony's, of her being like, he's like, I can't talk to a psychiatrist. Are you stressed? And he goes, I've been thinking, and he goes into this speech. And this is, it's just interesting. This is where I mean magical, Matt, because just for a moment, it steps out of reality for a second, and we get this Tony voiceover with this weird music kicking in, this like rock music type thing. And it's, I th I've been thinking uh, it's better to get in something at the ground floor. I came late to it. And you hear her voiceover back again saying, many people feel like this. And, uh, and then it just kind of kicks, kicks into this whole thing. And we also get the whole information about patient confidentiality and Tony talking about just a lot of things back and forth, which ultimately all leads to the thing that I honestly forgot about when going back into watching this. The ducks. Yeah. The fucking ducks. Holy shit. And the ducks just mean so much to him. So, so okay. So anyway, so I've been thinking it's better to get into stuff at the ground floor. He begins telling her about how he met a friend for coffee before he, she stops and explains the concept of doctor-patient confidentiality, hinting that he understands that, you know, what he does. We get our fir first big, uh, big thing with the music, with a, a big setup with so no, no music being in there. And then we see Tony outside looking at the pool. And... Uh, and he walks in and he says, and then suddenly in my pool, there were some wild ducks from Canada or someplace. As we see Tony getting into the water and start feeding the ducks and Meadow and Hunter. And this is our introduction to Meadow, Hunter and Carmela. Your dad and those ducks. Oy vey. And uh, Meadow is extra douchey in this episode. 
Yeah, she really is. Way worse than you remember her later on. And she's and she's you forget that she was unattractive at one point too. Absolutely. Hunter was Hunter was always like Hunter Skankarello over there. And I I think it's funny that they make her name Skank. But Tony's freaking out about the flying ducks and he's just getting giddy. We get Carmella, you know, Carmella and Hunter, and we get this whole side plot about the Aspen trip that you know, back and forth. So we get in Tony comes in with his shirt off and slaps Carmella in the ass. And he, uh, wishes, uh, wishes AJ a happy birthday. Cause this is AJ's birthday. And we also get Carmella calling Tony Birdman, which is pretty funny. <laughs> she goes, she goes, Birdman, Birdman. We also get a reference to Tony's Gumar in this scene where Carmella says, are you going to be at AJ's party? And he goes, yeah, I'll be yeah. back from work. And she goes, I'm not talking about work. And uh, and then we get into more Milfy and Tony, where she starts asking him about passing out. So we connect to another flashback that I kind of just skipped over, where Tony is talking about Christopher and talking about Christopher's part of the lazy generation, and they're driving the meat, uh, meet, or they're just driving around talking about some shit. Tony rails at Christopher being lazy, and he's a problem to the new generation. And he's got a brand new Lexus, and he doesn't even want to, you know, doesn't even, you know, he just has no work ethic. And soon afterwards, we see this man walk past, and Tony and Christopher notice him. This this guy, McAfee, is is his name. And Tony's in the passenger car, and he takes off. He sits in the passenger side while Christopher runs out and starts chasing him. The guy punches Christopher and runs away. And then we get probably one of our most interesting scenes of the episode in the sense of where we eventually go, where Tony gets in the driver's seat of the car to to the music, Love Me Like I Do. Do, 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 love me like I do. And he just runs this fucker down. Matt, this was my favorite ep- scene of the episode. It was, but the only thing with it is it doesn't – I can't ever see Tony Soprano later on doing something in broad daylight with hundreds of people watching this going on, doing that public of a spectacle, just like taking some guy out. That was the only problem I had with it was that doesn't seem – Tony, who's much more careful about stuff later on, tries to keep things like that in you know kind of hidden or in his own world where that happens very much in the real world out in front of everyone in front of a hospital in front of the insure uh like the hmo like in front of the insurance company absolutely that's the only thing that's weird about it is it's like I, tony would never have done that at any other time and he would have yelled at christopher or anyone else that went out and did some public display like that at some point and it's not like i mean there are things that happen to tony to make him change his mind about things but even so this alone is just something that even in episode two tony wouldn't do it's, right, exactly. That's the one thing I, when I watch it, I'm like, that's really off. Tony would have never done that at any other point. Yeah. Oh, we got our friend Big Kev. What's up? Good to see you guys. Good to see this show. I wonder if this was shot with the same cast. Would it be better or worse with today's technology? Can't wait to go back and watch some of these again. I would say that if knowing everything we know now and television being the same entity it is today that it was then, like po- a post-Breaking Bad world that we live in right now. If The Sopranos came out today, all same actors, all same directors, everyone's relatively the same age, I think it would be a better show. A little bit better. I don't think it would be much. I think visually it would probably be, it would probably be tighter is what I would say, to, hence to what Matt was saying earlier. I don't, think they, I, think, I don't think they would have edited. They had no idea it could have ever gotten as big as it did, whereas nowadays they could know that because they would know it post 
Breaking Bad, post other stuff like, okay, there's a market for this. We can do this this well, and there's a place for that. Absolutely. So the man, Alexander McAfee, sees Tony, and he freaks out, and and Tony just basically runs him down, and... And and right before he's doing it, Tony, uh, I we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I kind of did things out of order. Uh, Tony's about to talk about, yeah, we saw this guy that owed me money on a debt, and he's about to get the story of Milfi. He's like, can I stop you for a second? I know yeah. you said you're in waste management, but Dr. Kuzumato's your neighbor, and he suggests I know Kuzumato. You know what I'm trying to say? And if and if you're gonna tell me about a crime, I you know I'm not gonna. You know, I have to report it. I'm supposed to. Supposed to. And Tony gives her this look, this total Tony Soprano smile, and just goes, we had coffee. We had coffee. And then it just clicks right over to the coffee cup being, like, thrown at the guy, you know, like, coffee thrown at Christopher or something. And then love you like I do music as Tony with a big smile is chasing after him and uh, and Chris running after the whole scene. It's just, it's just really an amazingly funny moment that, that again, I... I have problems with it from a it wouldn't happen on the Sopranos standpoint, like you were saying, Matt, like we were both saying. But it's still so much fun to watch. And it, oh, yeah. And it goes to what you were saying about the music selection. The music is just so fucking great. And, Tim, I agree with you. A reboot of the Sopranos would suck. But if they, the question was more if the Sopranos never happened and it was all the same actors and – and it was made now, today, if it was an idea that came out now, would it be better or worse with today's technology making shows? And in that case, I would just say it would be better because long-form television is more the norm. But then that, but then that's that whole chicken and egg thing or that whole right. paradox thing. If it wasn't for The Sopranos, whether it was first or not, I agree with what you were saying earlier, Tim, where I credit Deep Space Nine for it in a lot of ways. But, but The Sopranos whatever it's worth was the package which made it famous made that style of of film of television making successful and show that show how so show how successful a series could be if you put the time and effort that you put into a movie and there was money to be made by doing it people the number of people that got HBO just because the sopranos was on there people were going out ordering it left and right oh we can actually make money by putting this show on and because of that it's the model that still works to this day to the sense of now the show on HBO that people are like that with is Game of Thrones. And I'd say, to be honest, Game of Thrones is the – I think there's been shows on HBO that people love. But I'd say Game of Thrones is the first show since uh, The Sopranos that has that kind of vibe to it. That right. people – even to, to the nth degree, to times 20, to the point where – the People like Six Feet Under loved that show. People, people like The Wire. Deadwood, yeah. The Wire, people liked all those shows, Kirby and Thieves. True Detective, but that's not the same thing because it's not one season at a time, you know. Yep, this are, and uh, and every season's different and the second season sucks. But right, okay, right, right. so it's revealed that McAfee is a compulsive gambler who borrowed money from Tony and couldn't pay it back, as well as badmouthed him. So Tony and Christopher beat the injured man and tell him to rebuild his debt. Shut up and stop crying about it. You're covered in your HMO. And he just beats him in public. And honestly, this is the moment where a big force of plot for the Sopranos later on becomes mentioned here, the HMO scheme that becomes a big part of a later Sopranos and gets talked about later in this episode as well. So in the present, Tony tells Milfi that he's been having bad dreams of late and he feels like his best days are behind him. He has another flashback, waking up one moment, getting his daily news. Oh, this is the whole ducks thing. Carmelo gets the children, AJ and uh, Meadow ready for school. Tony tries to get everybody interested in the ducks and that just never happens. They're like, we're not just into it. We're just not into those ducks. Tony begins, oh, I already mentioned this, and talks about his career. 
Then we get into Tony talking about Uncle Junior. And one, one thing before you do Uncle Junior, because yep. it's in the same thing. He said something, because I, in the way that I have this written down, he mentioned this before then. It, it was weird when I first heard it, but by the end of the episode, it made sense. He said when he's talking about what happens early on, he said his father never reached heights like him. He goes, my father never reached heights like me, which I immediately cut to that one of the best scenes in all of the Sopranos towards the very end, his scene of closure with Uncle Jew when he's in the um, the, uh, the home. And he says, you and my dad used to run South Jersey, which is the, North Jersey, which is like the best line in the entire series. But here he's like, my father never retouched like me. In the end of the episode, he goes back to it again. But I thought that might have been a hole in the plot in the beginning that he said that. But yeah. then I think about the fact that Uncle Jew never has a house like Tony does. No. He has one of those old... He was a step below what Tony ever became. And particularly, like you said, in the first episode, they accidentally, not accidentally, but Tony's the boss in the first episode, even though he really isn't. It, to the, the, to the point episode. where Feech even says that at the end where he goes, yeah, your, fa your, your father was younger than your uncle and he ran things. Now you run things and you're younger yeah. than your uncle. So it, it's, it's hammered in like several times that Tony's the boss in this first episode. Yeah. So we also get a lot of, uh, in this first thing, we see Tony sitting down in his first big meeting talking about Mazarin construction and everything that's going on with that. We meet Polly in this scene. We meet Silvio in this scene. We meet Pussy in this scene. We meet, uh, and this is where we get the whole thing about Silvio talking about uh, Junior being going to whack Pussy Malengo in uh, Vesuvio, which is his friend Artie Bucco's restaurant. And uh, we, we get this whole thing going back and forth with uncle junior where, where he's talking to milfie about i love my uncle he used to bring me the yankee games but he adds to my regular my general stress level he's a good guy just getting a little cranky they set they set it right up so again i said i said in my notes it's the feel that tony's the boss no mention of jackie no not even a whisper of jackie so we get Tony and Christopher going to Vesuvio and greet Junior, who's having dinner there with other associates. And we get Artie Buc Bucco. They sit down. They reminisce about the past. We get our first, Artie, how's your rash? That whole, that line right from the beginning, we get that, which comes back about a billion times in the series. Artie, how's your rash? We hear voiceover, Junior's my father's brother, Cranky. My uncle used to take me to Yankee games. But he told my girl cousins I'd never be a va varsity athlete <laughs> And that really hurt my self-esteem, which, again, is something that majorly comes back later. Right. Majorly comes back later. Uh, we have another another comment, another question in email. Uh, guys, love The Sopranos. Uh, love Junior. He's my favorite character in the first couple of seasons. Didn't like where they went with him at the end. Uh, I hear you on that one. Thank you, uh, 76, phone number 76. I... I hear you because, I mean, I always loved Junior as a big wise-ass and having, you know, having an edge to him and at the end. But I think from an acting standpoint, it's a very strong decision and a very strong story turn where they actually have him go. I, I mean, I don't like it. It's hard to watch sometimes, especially because I have personal relationships with someone that has dementia and seeing people that, like, lose their mind like that is kind of personal for me. And same with stage four, the episode that Johnny Sack ends up going through what he goes through they're very tough episodes to watch but they're done very well and again he's another person just perfectly casted to, to play uncle junior <laughs> how many cerseys is carmelo worth a uh, thousand gold cerseys <laughs> a thousand gold cerseys for carmelo so uh but that being said 
I think I'd rather be married to Carmella. Uh, are we doing the uh, murder, bane, kill? Uh, Cersei, Carmella. We need one more person for this, for the uh, mur murder, bane, kill. Oh, I'm killing two people. <laughs> Marry, bane, kill. <laughs> murder, bane, kill. It's a lot of killing. So, oh no! What's his name's wife is who you would take there. Breaking Bad's wife. Oh yes, yeah, um, Skylar. Yeah, Sky Skylar. Okay. Oh, the worst. You, okay, you but you uh you mar marry Skylar, you kill Cersei, and you no, you don't marry Skylar. She's the worst. Worse than worse than Carmela. Okay, so 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 you okay? You finish. I'll go first. You, I think you marry Skylar if you're not going to be a meth dealer, uh, you because she you you kill Cersei and you fuck Carmela. So you would marry Carmella. You don't know Cersei well enough. If so you I don't kill. cheat on if I'm not Tony, Carmella's fine. Because if you don't cheat on her, she's really nice to everyone else. She just hates her husband. Very true. How many like with Furio? If I was Furio, yeah, I'd, I'd marry her. I hated Artie's wife, Sh Charmaine, says Renrin. Right yeah, from the beginning. Sucks. I fucking hate her. Right from the beginning. Again, she is a douche of, of epic proportions right yeah. from the start. Like, shut up. The mafia. And again, we get a feeling in this episode, too, where Ar when Artie complains about uh, or talks about like the house being the, the place being burned down. He taught. He says, oh, things were just starting to pick up, meaning that like it, it's an impression that the restaurant's fairly new, which we know later on that that's not true either, that the restaurant's been around since his father's days. But like if I'm Charmaine. Like, fuck you. Like, the mafia guys, and we find out later on that they build a tab. But that tab doesn't exist at the beginning. It's it's their pain. If she, if she just went on the friggin' vacation and never gets burned down. Yeah. If she just says, yeah, Roddy, you know what? Let's go away on a trip. That sounds great. Let's go on a free cruise. It never gets burned down. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, in, in her whole rationale, someone's legs got broken for those tickets. What a place on earth. And Artie is such a, uh, how do you say it? He's such a wet spaghetti noodle that you just can't you he has no backbone with her and when he does have a backbone with her it's too much you know like he, he let he's one of those guys that lets people push him and push him and push him and instead of letting it seep out one breath at a time so he doesn't explode he just lets it explode in the wrong time when he beats up doogie hauser's friend when he yells at his wife in ways he shouldn't i mean there's lots of problems fuck oh clumsy toaster says fuck cersei kill kill sky or marry carmella then divorce her ass asap yeah <laughs> yeah but she'll take all your stuff she'll <laughs> she will she'll take all your shit if you divorce her she'll try but she won't actually go to the lawyer in the long run remember she'll just she'll just threaten to do it right you just have to remember to go see every lawyer in the area it's the smartest thing you can do. Okay, so later that day, Tony goes to his mother's house to, to try to touch base with Livia to try to do some do some work on Junior for him. So he brings her a CD player, and we get we get Livia right from the beginning. She oh, yeah. she won't open the door. Who is this? Who, who are you? What's going on? Anthony. I didn't answer the phone last night because someone called me after dark. It's just hilarious. Her expressions are just amazing. I knew this actress. I was familiar with her, not because of a lot of her work, but I was a big fan of this TV series, uh, TV, TV series Cheers. And she plays Frasier Crane's mother on Cheers, Kelsey Grammer's mother on, on the episode of Cheers that threatens to kill Diane when Diane's going to marry Frasier. And through the whole episode, she's like, whispers, Pretends to be nice, like, oh, I'm so nice. And then turns to Diane when no one's looking, goes, I have a gun in my purse and I'm going to shoot you. And so I, I always kind of knew this actress and she has really awesome comic timing. And she's really, 
alive in this scene interacting with Tony. It's, it's really fun to watch her do her thing. Already a lovable douche, says Ren. <laughs> Perfect way of saying it. Yes, it's hard not to fuck Cersei, says Tim. Yeah, exactly. She's the, she's the fuck. If I can just fuck her and get away from her and don't have to deal with her, don't have to get any shame, 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 none of that going on. If I'm not related to her, I'm fucking Cersei. But then because I'm not related to her, she's not going to want to fuck me. So there's problems there. I'll, pret- I'll dye my hair blonde for a day and pretend to be a Lannister. <laughs> okay, so Artie Jr. could be making a problem for Artie, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she refuses to help, saying she doesn't want to doesn't want to help because because uh, if Junior has business with Artie, he knows what he's doing. And Tony's like, "What? I don't know what I'm doing." They also dance in the scene; they're excellent together. I can see again while she was cast with Tony, they have a wonderful balance. They have a give and take. There's almost like a comic timing between the two of them going back and forth. Tony's voice is very bad in the scene, though. This is probably the scene where no, oh, I got the I just ate my like. His voice is very awful. We also get our first her saying, I'm not living in a nursing home. It's not a nursing home. Matt, what is it? It's, it's not a nursing home. It's a, it's a retirement community. That's right. It's a retirement community over and over again. Yes, it's a retirement community. And this is our, we get our first thing of that. So Tony says, and he, Tony says he loves her, yada, yada, yada. And she says, yes, thank you. Thank you for helping me out, you know, with everything you do, Tony. But daughters are better than sons at taking care of their mothers. And Tony goes out ah, and, and just quickly goes to rage between the two of them back and forth. And, and that makes no sense either because, oh, no, Janice does come back and kiss her ass, doesn't she? At first, yes, and takes care of her. <laughs> and this, uh, Ren says, I loved Olivia immediately. She was so good at truly being evil. And it's so evident in this episode. And would you... And Matt, to go to what I was saying earlier, do you think the end of The Sopranos is better with Livia ultimately as our main villain? Because do you think The Sopranos suffered? And you can go dwell. You can talk about this a little bit, and however you want. Thinking about this, do you? Couple points for you to talk about. Do you think that The Sopranos suffered from not really having a full-time antagonist for Tony? It was always different antagonists coming in and out. Whereas if Olivia hadn't died, she would have been the antagonist for the entire series. I see. I have to. Wa- I haven't. I've purposely not watched any of this show in years. Because you and I have talked about doing this at some point for the last two years now. I have to rewatch it and see how I feel as we go on with it. I can't base that on one episode. You are right. He doesn't have a like he doesn't have a foil through the whole thing and they keep dying with like you know, Johnny Sack. I mean that doesn't he doesn't really cut it. No, Johnny doesn't sack doesn't count. It's I mean it's it's Richie. Well, really hates him. Yeah, he does. He, but he, I would have liked it if they introduced Phil early on though. And made yeah. him a thing in season one or two. When you get a line from Corrado in this episode where he says to Olivia, Tony thumbs his nose to New York. And it would have yeah. been good if we saw that from the beginning. We didn't really get into New York till season fucking five. And to answer Clumsy Toaster, to be honest, Cersei's the last girl from Game of Thrones I'd fuck. Fuck Daenerys, kill Cersei, marry Brienne. It's interesting. This week they came out that Daenerys is the sexiest woman alive. She wins the award this year for the sexiest girl alive. And I was thinking that she's not even the sexiest girl on her show. I think, is she of, is she of age yet? I think I would, would fuck, marry, fuck and marry Sansa. And no, I'd probably, I'd, I'd, oh gosh. I'd probably fuck Daenerys, then I'd marry Sansa and I'd kill Cersei. Anyways. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> I love this game. Okay, so we, uh, 
this is we cut over back to the house and we see Father and Contola playing by a different actor and Carmela and her hate for Livia's right away as we get the no fucking ZD line from AJ as we find out that that Livia's not coming to AJ's birthday party. That's his best line in the entire series. Six years. Now, as much as I hate season three, I think, Matt, you hate A.J. Soprano more than pretty much any character on Earth, right? Is A.J. Soprano one of your least favorite characters? He's annoying in so many different ways because he starts off being an annoying little shit as he is in the first couple episodes with the no fucking ZD and being a fat little fuck. And nothing wrong with being fat because I'm right here. But then later on, he just becomes like whinier in a completely different way. At the end, I'm just thinking about there's never a point. There are points in the show when you like Meadow. There's points in the show when you like Carmelo. There's never a point in the show when you like AJ at any point. I agree with you. I agree with you. Sort of at a certain time where you can almost relate to him, but then he becomes a ridiculously douche in the second half of that season. Uh, Clumsy Toaster, yeah. I, for, I forgot your important part of that comment. And and marry Brienne so she could get me on the Star Wars set. <laughs> I kind of skipped over the funniest part of that whole thing. Good fucking point, sir. Good point. Okay, so back in the present, Tony tells Milfy that the day of the panic attack was also his son's birthday. It was starting to happen like ginger ale on the brain. And as he tries to light the barbecue and he finds out Livio's not going to be there, he notices the ducks becoming agitated in the water before flying away. And he gets emotional. We get this operatic music uh, peak that uh, climax that's really intense. And at that moment, he starts to begin to experience a panic attack. It's uh, ginger, ale, ginger ale on the skull. Uh, Matt, we're going to get personal here because let me put on my Dr. Dr. Phil W. glasses. Now, Matt, have you ever actually had a panic attack? I don't think so. Uh, kind of. At school, I did one time. but They did a very good job at depicting it here. A very good job at showing how they come. I personally have had some at times, and in my, uh, I, I wasn't always a good person in my youth. And at times when I messed around with things I should have messed around yeah, and no had shit. and got inside my own mind a little bit, uh, things I shouldn't have put on my tongue for people that know what I'm talking about. I've, I've, I can understand that, and they symbolize the feeling of your mind crashing in and the ginger ale on the brain thing. I can totally relate to that, and it really. It's a really fucking uh, that it's a really fucking great moment. Uh, that's Texas cooking, Matt. And by the way, Phil, turn around. She's gone. Oh, oh, is the, the cat jump on the uh, did the cat jump on the drums again? Fucking cat. Oh my god. AJ reminds me of uh, Jack, oh, Jake Lloyd from the Phantom Menace. I want to murder him. He played young Anakin Skywalker. Yes. Oh, the worst. <laughs> that's so wizard. That's so wizard, guys. Yeah, you almost like AJ's going to say that's so wizard. I would say this that AJ is the least annoying to me in seasons one and two. I think once AJ starts getting a little older, he gets way more fuckity for me. At the beginning, he's almost passable as that wise ass kid it was right it might even be in season one the episode where they start getting into him at school when he starts getting into the fight at school he's just an i think he's the weak link of the acting wise of the main core oh, cast yeah. i think he's clearly the worst actor of the family and of pretty much any of the main actors on the show including the guy that's the guitar player for bruce springsteen that isn't acting <laughs> that's acting isn't his job oh there's a oh shit there's a person behind me Oh shit, there's a Klingon behind me. Fuck. There's a what? The, this fucking scary fuck right there? Fucking Ferengi fuck. <laughs> okay, so uh, daddy falls in the grill. We also get the grill blowing up, which is a kind of fun uh, visual. 
So, excuse me. So we get Meadow cursing. Oh my God, Syl is actually at the party who runs there and puts out the fire. And eventually, uh, Tony collapses on the lawn as the as they call 911. And the next day, Tony is in the MRI scan. And we get a kind of funny uh, commentary on the MRI thing where like the people is like, oh, could you not move, sir? If you're going to have to move, if you move, we're going to be here all day. It's just kind of a funny back and forth. Considering what we know about Tony and Tony's complaint, whatever happened to the strong, silent type, the uh, the Gary Coopers of the world, that's something that comes back several times in the series. Is that what she says to him? You're going to hell when you die. That's the difference between you and me. I think it's as he's about to go on the MRI machine. Yes. And that's a, and Matt, good point. That is another scene that comes back several, several moments, several times. It's referred to throughout the series of The Sopranos. It's a. Uh, that that particular line of of Carmel is saying that to him when he's in his most fragile state yeah. in that moment. Uh, Clumsy Toaster says, "No, it's the person." Part. AJ's the worst uh, worst part was when he became a philosopher for a day. Yeah, when he starts like co- quoting uh, philosophy and he's like mispronouncing all the names. And uh, Meadows like, "I think it's Kant." Where he's like, "It's Kant that said," or I think it's Kant. I think it, that's the one he's talking about. And or when he starts trying to be, to me, the worst AJ moment is when AJ tries to, because, uh, yes, spoiler alert, blah, 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 if you're sensitive and you haven't watched the series. When, when he tries to go in and kill, uh, kill Junior, and he just, like, drops oh, the God, knife. I forgot that even happened. <laughs> and Tony's just like, what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? It's a big, far, a big fucking nothing. A big fucking nothing. And just Tony, like, and when Tony, like, goes and AJ tries to suffocate himself, it, like, to me, that was some of the better acting, I guess, he did on the series. In the end, when he was completely, like, a, like a douchebag at the end, he's, like, and he, like, tries to kill himself in the pool and, like, it doesn't, and then burns the card. That whole stage of AJ just made me want to, just made my brain hurt. AJ kind of ruined it, said Tim. Carmela said something like, if Tony died, he was going to hell. I was shocked by that. Yeah, it was a really horrible thing for her to say. And I think really quickly shows you who Carmela is because of this, the whole turnaround. Carmela's nice, but douchey. She's like, it's 630 in the end. The kids are worried. Of course. And Tony's like, I'm scared. Do you think I have a brain tumor? And she's like, well, would you rather not know? And Tony's like, okay, we had some good times, right? Like he's trying to like get some love from her. And she goes, no. She goes, um, you know, why don't you, why don't you fucking get in love with your gumar and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and he goes, well, you're around the priest all the time. And she goes, that's not the same thing. I'm trying to worry about my soul. And, and he goes, oh, it's, it is the same thing. He goes, yeah, you know, maybe there is no difference between me and you. The only difference between me and you is that you're going to go to hell when you die. <laughs> and then she immediately, like, right after that, he gets put into the, into the MRI machine. And she turns around and gives him a smile and waves to him like, are you okay, honey? Like, gives him the are you okay, honey look. That's Carmela in a fucking gift basket yeah. for you right there. Fucking A. So so uh, Tony continues narrating his waste management problems to Melfi. He tells him that a fo- fellow associate was able to handle a problem for him. In another flashback, we get Christopher bringing the rival of the waste management group to this garage. Uh, we get Christopher's first kill, which comes back a lot of times. We get the sausages line. That's Joe's favorite line from the entire series. Uh, you like our spice sausages and Christopher (laughs) and Christopher kills him. And we also get our first impression of Christopher being someone that wants to be a big gangster as he shoots him like six or seven times as it flashes back to a picture of, I think it was Al Capone that they were showing you. Yeah. 
just to show you that Al Capone is the mafia guy that wanted to be a star as much as he wanted to be in the mafia. So then we get Tony narrating more in Milfi's dealings with Junior and the doctors handling his tests. Uh, Tony's arguing with Junior on a golf course, saying this is where we get Tony. Tony may be the boss in North, North Jersey, but he doesn't control his own. You run your uncle Jew. Exactly. So he says to him, yeah. I'm gonna, one thing he said before this, it was Christopher. There's a scene with Christopher and Tony. I think they're at Suvius. I'm not sure, though. And it's something that comes up later on, too. Well, you see Christopher telling Tony what to do. Because you know what you need to do. You need to talk to your uncle. Yep. You know, where it's like Tony can't handle that and never is able to do it. But right away, Christopher's already doing that. And this is well before he's like, you know, before he's made, before he's, you know, all those early scenes when he's still just a fucked up, you know, junkie early on in the show. We also get a um, reference to D-Girl in this episode from him where he's talking about yeah. uh, selling his movie rights. You're going to go all Henry right, Hill right. on me? So Tony's arguing with Junior, and uh, Junior freaks out and says, how many times, how many days did I spend playing catch with you? I just love that fucking line. <laughs> fucking Junior. We hear more about the family as uh, we see the priest. Can't wait to hear about what mafia movies Tony likes. We hear something about our most dated line of the episode where we hear about laser discs, and it's the greatest quality you can get. No, 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 no. The most dated line of the show where he goes, we got to go on fucking Sally Jesse Raphael to talk about our problems. That's the most dated line. Yes, good this point, Matt. Sally Jesse Raphael. <laughs> the Sally Jesse Raphael line. I forgot about that. So Carmela, then we get Meadow trying to break back into her house and Carmela grabbing a, another thing that just doesn't fly later on in the series. Carmela grabs like a shotgun and goes outside and like almost shoots, uh, almost shoots uh, Meadow. And AJ, being the little prick he did, locked the window on her. And... Uh, to everyone, he's such a little prick. Yes, and she turns to Meadow, and we set up in the first season something that doesn't really get explored too much, but it's very prevalent in the first season, how Meadow is Tony's daughter, and AJ's an idiot. That Meadow has Tony's evil in him. And it gets, gets hinted at a lot in season one, but never really gets explored past season one. It kind of just disappears. Meadow becomes a... a a pretty pretty different character, both visually, I'm still convinced the girl had some sort of nose job, and where she says she hasn't, that she just changed her looks, but she looks so fucking different. It almost looks like the, the actress is wearing a mask that compared to what she looks like later. At the end of the show, you forget she was a fuck-up at one point. You exactly. know what I mean? Early on, she totally was. Exactly. Ren, Ren, I keep thinking, I hope to God that they clean the equipment before they make more sausages. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of times where Tony or some people where uh, I think it might be Christopher talking to the girl in the last season that him and Tony have issues with uh, where he says, hey, I, uh, once I started working in this job, I didn't eat it. I never eat at Satriales. I would never eat there. Which was, if you noticed, was not called Satriales in the first episode. No, it either. was not. It was not. It was Centani's, I think I wrote that down. It was Centani's is the name of the, uh, the place where they filmed. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think uh, Sill's Place gets the name the Bada Bing either. Bada Bing, it, yeah. It's um, not mentioned. It's, it's not mentioned. It's a strip club. So uh, she asks Tony if he's depressed. Melfi tries to talk to Tony more about the ducks in the pool and symbolizing his depression. She pushes at it, and he looks at her Tufts degree and says, what part of the boot are you from, hon? And she says, Dr. Melfi. And my father's people are from X. Your mama and my mother would be really happy if we got together, which is a funny referential moment to think that they were almost husband and wife on the show. 
So she says anxiety is for real, and Tony goes on rant one about people being pussies, and you know why does everyone have to go and Sally Jessica Raphael and uh, whatever happened to the strong silent type Gary Cooper? Gary Cooper, not everyone's in touch with their feelings and in touch with this and in touch with this and in touch Bafangul. He uh, he goes on and says, I went to a semester and half of college. I understand Freud as a concept in therapy. You know, or understand Freud. I understand therapy as a concept, but not in my world. She keeps going. Are you depressed? And he says, yes, since the ducks left. So we get a short scene with Chris and Pussy where we figure out that Chris uh, fucked up and shouldn't have killed that guy until Pussy showed up. And we also get Christopher, which I think is a real... It's our one thing that doesn't balance with Christopher later on. Yeah, Chris has is a fuck up, but he knows movies and he shouldn't mispronounce Luca Brazzi. He he right. calls him Lu- Lucius Brassi or some Brahi or comf- yeah. something. And Christopher watches so many movies, he wouldn't fuck that up. Pussy would be the one to fuck that up. Christopher wouldn't. Or pa- excuse me, that'd be a Polly thing to fuck it up to call it call him Lucia Brazzi or something like that. Where Christopher would be like, Polly, you're an idiot. It's Luca Brazzi. It was sort of they were figuring out the balance between Tony's thugs. But it's a really funny scene. And this is really Pussy's coming out party. And <laughs> this is Pussy's coming out party. I was going to call you Joe again because I'm saying Pussy coming out. <laughs> Matt, this is Pussy's coming out party. So now we know we have more people wearing pants. So, yeah, who's yeah, wearing not only that, but he's saying he's, it's his coming out party where he's also foreshadowing his own yes. year and a half later, two years later. Absolutely. And we also get uh, – get, Get some talk about Tony running down the trash business, some problems with New York. Uh, Pussy mentions. We also get Christopher saying, what if T T passing out? What if he was like disabled or something? And it was it's just a yeah. <laughs> it's just an interesting line from Christopher, which you you get to know Christopher really well in this episode, as well as you know some of the other ones. And he we I can't say enough how well the Sopranos cast some of these characters and they did just did a really good job. Whereas someone like Christopher is someone I didn't notice in Goodfellas. I knew the scene and I recognized it later, but it was someone that was one of those things where he, I had no memory of Michael Imperelli and pr- no. killed his name from the good, from Goodfellas. I just in the Sopranos made me go, Holy shit. I got to see what else this guy was in. He was in Goodfellas. Wait a second. Yeah, but he's like nothing in Goodfellas. Nothing. He's, he's like just Spider. The, is that his name? Spider. He's the. Are you funny? He, he's the. Yeah. He is the guy that gets shot from Joe Pesci's. Uh, uh, were you laughing at me? You know, my fucking joke. That whole scene. He's the. He's the beneficiary of all of that. <laughs> pussy is the manliest nickname ever. I think it's hilarious <laughs> that there's like two pussies. That there. That he's not the only pussy. And then what's our great line as we said before? Uh, or we haven't got to that. He- that's our hesh moment. We're, we're almost there. We're getting towards the end of this episode. So uh, we get Tony, and then we cut over. We get a couple of vignettes of uh, the, 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 that scene with Pussy and uh, Pussy all over the place, all over the dock. Pussy is sliding all over the dock. And we get Christopher. <laughs> Sorry, for the few seasons that Pussy's on, I need, we need to take full advantage of the put. We got to do what every radio station in America did and able to say that character name. Oh, I was, you'd listen to like Bob FM and they'd be like, hey, last night I was listening to the Sopranos, watching the Sopranos and I couldn't believe what Pussy did. It was one of those things that it was as silly as this sounds, as much as when it really comes down to it, Pussy isn't that big of a character in the series from the beginning of the end. His character was probably one of the more iconic parts of the first half of the series to the point where when people would say, oh, have you seen the Sopranos show? Have you seen that Pussy? 
it would be like before they when that their first I remember before I watched The Sopranos I would hear people talking about pussy and they wouldn't talk about Tony necessarily they'd say yeah that show's awesome they got a character named pussy on it so it was a, it was very important it's just one of those things like again like Boardwalk Empire oh there's a guy with his face blown off Again, I want to read that again. Pussy is the manliest nickname. <laughs> okay, so then we cut over to Tony taking Livia and the rest of the family to Green Grove. You can tell uh, that they program the kids because the kids are like, oh, it's really nice in here, Grandma. You should go here, Grandma. Oh, my God, Grandma. Everything's really nice. As we get Livia, who's smart as a whip, who spots the fucking door to the nursing home in the back and goes, what? Oh, my God, Matt. This is a fucking nursing home. Get me the fuck out of here, Tony. And, and she even says to her, "That's our. Um, what does she call it? That's our. Th- is that the dementia wing? Like, I think. I think she, she says doesn't... nursing wing. I, I believe she says yeah. nursing wing. And uh, Tony ha- Tony tries to get uh, tries to get uh, her under control, and she just like, no, oh, no, get away from me, get doing her Olivia thing. And Tony st- has another panic attack, and it's almost. I know she doesn't, and I'm affected by a later scene. I swear Olivia gets a little smirk in this moment where she's like, oh, are you okay? And then we have- She probably does. Her character is the most on point of any of them in the first episode. Like that's Livia throughout the entire show. I agree. That doesn't change. I agree. Me, her and Carmela. I would give it to Carmela too, but the gun thing is very not Carmela later. Yeah. Well, Junior's himself too, I guess. To a, to a point. He just, he's very, you don't really get to know Junior so much until right. season two. Really, when it really comes down to it. You, know, you get to know him some elements in season one, but Junior really becomes more and, of and In that first episode, all of his henchmen are like old guys. It looks like he's, he's at the club, like the Italian club with a bunch of other old guys. He has no one young around him. Exactly. Whereas, again, right in episode two, Mikey shows up. And Mikey yeah. is a big, big element of who Junior is in that first season. And to the point where Mikey's more of a character than Junior is in that first season. And Junior does a couple of things that doesn't don't make sense as we're going to explore this season. Okay. So anyways, Tony passes out again and Livia sw- smiles, I swear. So we get Tony in Milfie's office with his head in his hand, like really pissed off. And Milfie continues to talk about his mother and his depression. And he's like, depression to her is like a trip to Six Flags. But even And he talks about the father being like Livia pounding the father into, uh, into, into, into a little shrivel of a man before he died. But that's where he mentions, that's the where Tony redeems himself. Earlier on where he said his dad never reached his heights, he does say, but my father, you know, he ran his own crews to try to say, to prove how much the mother beat him down. He did say, oh, his dad ran his own crew. Dude, course. you don't know how much I love that you took notes too. But anyways, so that, that's going to that's gonna be, I, I, my note taking is going to be affected differently next week because, or next show that we do, because... I know that you take notes as well, so I don't have to keep everything. So you said you were taking notes. I'm like, well, shit. I guess I'm gonna take notes then. <laughs> Not I, as detailed as yours, just little points. No, that that's I fine. Noticed. That's fine. But like uh, J- Joe's reaction to that is, Joe's like, oh, you take notes, so I don't fucking have to. I can just show up. So I appreciate your. I can tell you're in education, Matt. You know, here we go. So, so how's his? So his mom. Uh, so anyways, we get this whole thing, and then Tony kind of also makes a joke about, uh, about how Rico is uh, bumming him out, too. And she's like, who's Rico? Is he your uncle <laughs> or something? Or is he your cousin? And she's like, no, Rico Predican. And I was like, oh, yeah. And this is also in a moment where we reverse something later that Milfi says, and I want to just mention this now. I also think that excellent work by Lorraine Bracco and her acting from moment to moment with Tony because she is very, very different in all of season one and especially here 
than she is after the events of the end of season one, when her life becomes in danger. And later on, when she's talking pretty curtly to Tony, and she and Tony's like, were you ever attracted to me? And she goes, yes, I was attracted to you at a point in time. But, and it shows here. It shows in his her first interactions that she is a little turned on by him in some ways. And in this scene when he's talking, when he says, Rico, oh, she gives that like, oh, laughing at him. It, it develops a little bit more as season one goes, where you see that the two of them have a very, have, a, have an interesting balance. Oh, gosh. Spider was pivotal in Goodfellas. Brendan Davis. Oh, my gosh. We have our good friend from high school as well. The, our good friend Brendan Davis joining the chat right now. Wow, class of 95. I love it. I know. We're so class of 95 going on in this room. Uh, Ren Renan says he was squeaking like a little gerbil when he died. Also, Fear <laughs> the Walking Dead was not noteworthy. I love that one. Good pun. Good pun. But welcome, Brendan. Welcome, Clumsy. Ren Renan, thank you guys so much for joining, joining us live for this this impromptu, or not impromptu, this uh, first Sopranos recap. Okay, so Milf, so Milfy goes in this whole thing about Tony, you know, all those feelings you're having. No one needs to live their life every day in this world with the pharmacology of today. And one of the best and most iconic lines from this first episode, too, Tony says, here comes the Prozac. As we get a cut to Tony and Christopher meeting with uh, McAfee's representative, Hesh, uh, this is where we meet Hesh for the first time at the Bada Bing strip club owned by Sergio. Finally, Sophia. a Jew for you to see. And we finally get him a Jew. Hesh says McAfee can't pay the money. How can he not pay the money? He's blood dry. Man has no money. But the conversation quickly turns to Junior's impending hit on Little Pussy. This is where we get. Oh, I heard uh, Junior wants to kill Pussy, Big Pussy, Bob and Cero. No, you think he's gonna kill my pussy? He's no one. No, <laughs> not my pussy. Not my pussy. The other pussy, Little Pussy, not Big Pussy. So we get Sill giving a free drink. Don't charge these guys for drinks. Or I couldn't tell if this was a uh, a Jew slight where Hesh made a dig that he can't get free drinks. I couldn't. No, I think Hesh, like he's too power. He's from the old school. Like they, he wouldn't disrespect Hesh. <laughs> I don't think he would. At least I don't know. Tom says, "Wow, uh, Joe changed a lot." And Clumsy Toaster says, "Class '95. I wasn't even born yet, and I'm an adult." And oh, thanks, yeah, thank you, uh, fucking asshole. Thank you, clumsy. <laughs> and uh, Tim says, uh, "This is the all new and different Joe. He takes notes." Short. Uh, Ren's wearing shorts. It's over ninety degrees in friggin' uh, Texas right now. Lucky. So Hesh says, "Your uncle has a grudge. Had a grudge." Where in Texas? Hold on. Where in Texas is Ren? Okay, I. Uh, we'll wait. We'll uh, we'll wait for that. Uh, they're on delay, so we'll get a response in like okay. uh, right. in like a, in a minute. Hesh says, "Your uncle has a grudge. Had a grudge on your dad. The man is driven by his insecurities. Suggests having Artie leave on vacation, uh, so the restaurant will be closed and the hit can take place." Tony goes to Artie later and convinces him to take a cruise for the next two weeks, despite the owner's wife trying to argue otherwise. As Tony goes, "Yo, Jew, that's really smart." And Hesh turns around this whole other thing into saying hey how about this old jew how about i take points on the, the money that that uh this guy owes you that this guy from the beginning that tony beat the shit out of and this is where tony gets the brilliant idea for the hmo scam about charging people for mris that don't happen and this guy mcafee were i keep calling mcafee like the uh like the like the uh like the uh security company but i think that's his name i'm not sure and uh and talk to him about this HMO scheme, and you can get in on it too, and we can all make a bunch of money. It's a new scheme. It could be bigger than trap, bigger than garbage. Well, garbage is our thing. This could be the best thing ever. Uh, East Texas. 
Okay. Uh, it's a big friggin' state, so it's nowhere near where she's from. Where, where's uh, Where's Jen from? She's from right near Austin, like a half hour south of Austin. Cool. So we see Carmela taking cash out of cans, which is something later in that, that's not an issue later, too, where Tony doesn't really keep money out in the open in the house. We see him keeping it in the bird feeder. We see him keeping it in other places in the ceiling. But she keeps it right in, uh, right in Campbell's cans. And uh, Tim used to live right outside of Dallas. <laughs> and Tom says, wow, Joe, you've changed a lot. Yeah, he cut the yep. dread, he cut the dreadlocks, put on glasses, dyed his hair a little bit. So we see Carmela. It's so gray. <laughs> hey, if I had known the recap was coming, I would have watched the episode of Sopranos. The Sopranos is quality. Well, you can catch up. We're going to be doing this for the entire series, so I will try to put these events up uh, around a because I think. Generally, they are going to be on Wednesdays around the five to six o'clock hour, and uh, probably every other week we're going to do them, do them unless schedules change. So, so probably around this time on Wednesdays, keep an eye out for these Sopranos uh, recaps, and we're going to be going from beginning to end, from here to Kevin Finnery to uh, Don't Stop Believing. We're going, we're getting there. Don't stop. East of Texas is saying like you live in the west side of the galaxy. Yeah, we got. Uh, I think Clumsy Toaster's from around that area too. Uh, are you from Arizona, New Mexico, Clumsy? I believe in that area. Not sure though. Anyways, so we see Carmela taking cash out of cans and the first met and uh, Carmela and Mama. We get Carmela again being Carmela. Carmela and Mom and Meadow go to Eloise's portrait. We get this whole thing with Meadow being a douchebag to Carmela, and we get the yeah, got- it's the bitchiest she ever is, except for when Jackie Jr. dies. But she was drunk, so that's excusable. But she's awful in this first episode. Yes, and uh, absolutely, Tom. We will. Uh, this is the best time for Matt and I generally in the evening around this time so because matt matt gets up early in the morning so uh so late night 4 30 i was up this morning 4 30 i just my i don't have an alarm i just wake up at 4 30 in the morning jesus fucking christ i i'm kind of like that was about six i'm up at i'm up about 6 30 every day so and i i it can't i can't sleep i mean even if i'm up till three in the morning i'm up i'm up at six yeah i i I stayed up and watched the Democratic oh, okay. debate last I'm, night. I'm completely, I'm completely wrong. Uh, Clumsy Toaster's in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a fucking horse's ass. I don't know where I got fucking, uh, where I got New Mexico from. Okay, so uh, most people live in sort of south of the galaxy. <laughs> you guys are cracking me up in the chat. We also get the You Got Mail sign in uh, Meadows' computer. So. Uh, oh, yeah. That, that might be the most dated thing in the whole You've episode. got mail. So it's just a, a scene of. Of uh, Meadow manipulating Carmela. It's basically this scene. Carmela's like, I thought we'd go every day of our lives. It's, it's just a Meadow and Carmela scene. I don't want to dwell too much on that because there's better scenes later between the two of them. So Tony gives Artie some, because this thing keeps coming back. Like this event that Carmela wants to take Meadow to keeps coming back and gets referenced about a billion times. Yep. So then we go to Tony and Artie and he gives Artie some tickets for a vacation. Uh, and uh, him and Christopher just sell this perfect. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's uh, comps. Yeah, comps from dentists. And, uh, and we go to Milfie's office who goes to look for Tony and Tony's not there yet. Or Tony's skipping the appointment. So we go to Artie's wife, Charmaine, and she's not taking any fucking tickets. She's got, it's a scam or so. I hate that these mobsters come in the store. And uh, comps? Comps, what the fuck, Arthur? Arthur, are you a fucking idiot? When what place? And here it comes again, Matt. I'm sorry, I did the voice. In what fucking world would the dawn of New Jersey be sent on a trip by a bunch of dentists? Someone donated their kneecaps for this. 
So right away, Charmaine is a douchebag. We find out later that Charmaine is a douchebag because Tony slept with her and then tried to get her into her life. And she kind of was like was uh, skeeved by Tony after they boned. And that's this is what this all comes from, essentially, that she has she feels like she knows Tony better than Artie does because she was she was on the inside that she could have been Carmela and she made a choice not to. Yeah. And then don't forget the. Later on, the, the Carmela, the little wave to her at her house. Exactly. The wave, the special way. I, I was actually talking to somebody about that the other day where I was doing somebody a service and they kind of gave me that. They gave me the OK. And I'm like, I'm doing you a fucking favor. Don't give me the Carmela thing. Right. Don't, don't give me that. Excuse me. Um, come here. Come here. OK, so the next day we get pushy, pussy, pushy. <laughs> we get pushy, pussy. What a that pushy pussy is such a character. And uh, big mouth Billy Bass. And then we get pussy and Hesh, which this is a weird scene too, because Hesh is kind of It's a weird scene. Hesh is like a badass, like threatening people. Walk on the rocks. Isn't this strange? Like Hesh is in the money is in the muscle business here. And and pussy's in the muscle business here. What why isn't why isn't Polly there? Yeah, let's go let's go take a walk on the rocks. And that's his line to him. Yep, and uh, basically this is just Pussy and Hesh uh, convincing McAfee, McAfee, excuse me, to do the HMO scheme. I'm not convincing him as much as you know, not leaving another option. Exactly. As as Pussy wastes a perfectly good uh, ice cream cone and throws it over the edge. (laughs) He doesn't look like a man that's done a a lot of that with ice cream cones. Uh, Absolutely. I know, exactly. He doesn't look like he's thrown away a lot of ice cream cones in his life. Sorry. I never wear pants in this podcast, Tim. I, I'm, I'm afraid to stand up right now to show you guys that I'm wearing. Oh, well, yeah, you'll, you'll see his big pussy. You'll see my big pussy right between my legs. So actually, where is my little pussy? My little pussy left the room a little while ago. So then we learn that Artie, uh, we get later, we get Tony's golfing and we, he, he basically uh, guzzles a uh, handful of Prozac that Milfi prescribed to him. And then he receives word from Polly, is Polly's thing to do, uh, that Mazarone wants to talk to him. We get, we get the impression that... No, 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 he's not. He's Barone. It's Dick Barone. Dick Barone, I'm sorry. Not Mazarone, Barone. And, and who's... No, Mazarone's the construction guy. Barone's the trash guy, right? Barone's the trash guy. Okay. That's the thing. He says, Dick wants to talk to you. I had to go look up who Dick was because I had no idea who that was because I've never heard of him again after that. Basically, yeah. And that's why I got confused because we see the other guy a lot more. Because, yeah. because trash doesn't become – trash is almost at the – after this episode doesn't get dealt with that much. It all it, – it just gets referred to. It's like its own business going around the back. We don't get much focus on that. We get more and, focus on the no-shows. What was that at? No, Dick is at the Satriales meeting too in the beginning. Exactly. I didn't realize that until afterwards, but that's I, I had no idea. I'm like, who the hell is Dick? It's Dick Barone. <laughs> Dick. So, so we're learning we about had Dick and Big Pussy. So yeah, it was we're fun. learning about this podcast is important, kids, because we're learning about Dick and Pussy here, and yep. that and that's the important thing you need to know. Big Pussy and Little Pussy. Take it from us. We're you know us us old men here. We're uh, this is an old, the old men podcast about Dick and Pussy. So. <laughs> so we also find that Artie wants to talk to Tony and Tony and he reluctantly gives the tickets back. And it's just a great visual as it scans up, as it pans up to Tony from like a, a, a sky shot. It's just, again, as Matt was saying at the very beginning, Sopranos right from the get go, they maximize 
the visuals. And you can tell that more money goes into it later and the stock goes up, especially after season one and season two, everything just goes zoom. But in season, the very right from the beginning, they'd make the most, the cinematography in the show is is really awesome. It's what, and, and that's what they were the first at to do, I think, I, in these cable shows, to say, we're doing cinematography that's like, on a, that you're only gonna see in like, in the, the best movies that have ever been and, made. And Matt, ultimately, I would say that it's, it's and we're going to say this as we go along, The Sopranos is weak on overall story arc. And, we, and I can talk about, I think the reason is that because Livia died, because the actress that plays Livia died. What Sopranos shines in is characterization, visual cinematography, music design, all of that is crazy. I don't think the story sucks. I just don't think it's, it doesn't have an overarching story it is maybe Tony in Milfie's relationship, but even that gets in the back half of season six, takes a back seat to the New York thing. It just pops yeah. up at the end of season five because of, because uh, of, because uh, of, uh, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Because of, because uh, of, what's his name? I can't, I'm blanking on his name. Buscemi. Yeah, Buscemi's character's stuff. To- Tony, the other Tony. And all of that stuff. Tony, yeah, Tony Uncle, uh, Tony Uncle Charlie. Or yeah, but let me say this. For all you want to say about lack of story arc, you get more of a backstory for Tony Soprano in this than you do in the entire series of Breaking Bad. I know more about Tony's life after one episode of this than you ever, ever learn about Walt's life in all of Breaking minus, Bad. Minus the stuff that you find out about him and the relationship with the company and his relationship with the girl. You, yeah, you get that I, one flashback. Tell me anything about Walt's dad, his mom, his brothers and sisters, his friends from when he was a kid, what his aspirations were when he was a little kid. You never get that. And I'm not saying one's better than the other one. No, not here with and I would, I would to go to another point with you, just to, and to agree with you, Matt. And something I, when I got, uh, got when, when, what I've heard from the guy who plays Gus, that this, you could say the same thing about Gus as a villain. You, there's so much to know about all those characters in Breaking Bad, and there's so much detail you want to know about their lives that you didn't get. Part of what made Breaking Bad what it was initially was some of the mystery surrounding some of the characters. And uh, oh, okay. End of Sopranos podcast. Now we're all talking about pants. Pants Kong. Pants Kong 2012 here. So that night, Milfie's having dinner with a friend who's arguing who can't get a seat with Adriana, who can't get a table. Tony comes in with a woman that's not Carmela, and it's not uh, the actress that plays Arena later. The man's surprised to see uh, surprises when Tony greets Milfie and says, oh, do you know who that is? Of course you know who that is. Oh, my God. And Tony's like, yeah, those uh, those painting, what did you say, those those decorating secrets were good for me or something? Yeah, yeah those decorating pointers. <laughs> later on... Uh, Ren Renwood, the whole thing I remember about Polly is he's a germaphobe. Even the lace is dry. Even if you don't touch the body and the shoe and the bacterium, the virus migrates up, migrates the soul. Pantsky. Yeah, and I wonder if they, again, did that Polly germaphobe thing, did that get introduced early or was that a later thing for Polly? I want to say that was a later thing for Polly. Polly had two lines in this whole episode. Like, he's, he's a nobody. He's not he's, even a main character in this at all. He becomes he a lot... Wants to talk to you, and he says one thing at Satriales, and that's it. I think Satriales, so, Saranis, or tsunamis, whatever it was. Oh, we got Joe Dirty Locks listening to us. Hey, Joe Dirty Locks, welcome, welcome, buddy. And uh, so later on, Tony has uh, has has his little uh, bang fest with the woman on the board, the Stugats, and it's Arena Number One who. Isn't as funny and charismatic, but is probably more attractive than Arena Number Two. And uh, she's running out in JFK's hat, and she 
and uh, she noticed something between Tony and uh, uh, Milfi and and noticed they have a something intimate together. So the next night we get a scene that I want to play a clip for. Matt, this is a clip I pulled from the episode. This might be loud on your end, Matt, so be prepared. Something I gotta confess. What are you doing? Getting my wine in position to throw in your damn face. You're always with the drama, you. You go ahead and confess already, please. Get it over with. I'm on Prozac. Oh, oh my God. I've been seeing a therapist. Oh my God. I think that's great. I think that's so wonderful. I think that's so gutsy. All right, take it easy. But I just think that's very, very wonderful. Yeah. Well, you think I was Hannibal Lecture before or something? <laughs> I just think it's great. Psychology doesn't address the soul. That's something else. But this is, this is a start. This is something. Oh, I'm going to shut up now. Like, what? Like, right away. Okay, we, we want to talk about Carmella being a douchebag. Like, she can't even, like, be supportive without being a douche. She's like, she's like, yeah, psychology won't handle your soul, but it's a start. Oh, I should shut up. <laughs> Fucking A. Hannibal Lecture is the first... That's the first time they do that, where he mispronounces someone's name for like comedic effect. It's right. Yeah, and it, ha- it, ca- it happens a lot, especially with Tony. Yeah, that's the first time when, it, when that happens. Did you notice in that same episode and the episode when he's with uh, – what's the Russian girl's name the night before? Arena. When he walks into the place the first night, and this is huge, and this is how – another reason that you already know that Tony – everyone knows Tony. Because first of all, that guy recognizes Oh, him. I forgot that. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, keep going. When he walks in the first night, he says, oh, Mr. Soprano, how are you? Let me bring you to your table. The, uh, the, the, the maitre d'. Thank you. The maitre d' says that to him the first night. Then when he goes in with the next night, Mr. Soprano, I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen you yet. How's everything been? <laughs> I had that on my notes, too. It was hilarious. He already knows that, like, you know, he already knows that, they, they, you know, Tony's obviously there with his girlfriend and who Tony is and. Who Carmella is when he comes in the next night. Is that in Vesuvius? Is that supposed to be in Vesuvius? No, I think this is supposed to be, And that's where I was saying the thing about Adrian. I think it's a different restaurant. In the, in, yeah, because that's not... It's not Vesuvius. I, I think it's like a French restaurant or something like that. I'm not yeah, sure. Artie Bucco doesn't have a friggin' maitre d'. I know yeah. that. No, he doesn't. Uh, so so he's just – it's just a really honest scene. And I, Carmella also says, did you tell your therapist? This is where the guy thing too. She goes, did you tell him about your dad? And uh, yeah, yeah, I told him about my dad. But your mom. Your mom's the one. Your mom's the one. And then we get into Carmella complaining that my own daughter hates me. And we get a scene of Meadow and uh, Meadow and Chris, which is a big element of the first season, too, that doesn't get yeah. explored as much. Meadow and Christopher have a definite relationship, not a sexual relationship, a relationship going on in season one, a dynamic that just disappears after a while. And uh, it's a very uh, antagonistic relationship that she's, she acts more like a brother to him than she does to AJ when it really comes. They have, right. more, they have more sibling chemistry than she and AJ have in my mind. So when they get back home, Christopher calls, uh, calls, oh, calls him to tell, or when they get home, Christopher calls to tell that little pussy has arrived in town and Chris is with some random girl, or not little pussy, pussy Malanga's in town. So the next day, Tony and Silvio attend Meadow's softball game and they make plans to enact something immediately. Silvio goes to Vesuvio that night and plants explosives inside at closing time, destroying the pit the party getting a party like that together quickly so we get the feeling that silvio is a specialty guy that blows shit up 
Tony and Meadow talk. Uh, we, we see Heather, Dante, who we don't see too often, Silvio's daughter in the scene. Yeah, I totally forgot she existed. Yeah, she's, she gets Chuck Cunninghamed at some point in the series. Yeah. She just gets disappears. And, uh, and then we get a funny line by Meadow, who Meadow and Tony have a very good relationship right from the start. Sad mama, can't even come to my sporting event. And isn't it, isn't it crazy? And I love, I love her douchey line earlier in the episode when she's like, Oh, you think people go to Aspen every year? It's it's not lame things like this. Aspen never happens. It's a it's a one time deal to go to Aspen. It's just such a douchebag. Tony takes her into this church that his granddad great granddad built, and she is just. I wrote many times, repeated me in my notes. She's just so fucking whiny in this scene. Like, yeah, she really is. I'm not impressed. What what do I care about, Dad? Can we get out of here? Your granddad built this, and it really and just. I would say this. She gets a shit ton better as an actress, too. She's just not good in the scene, especially compared to how good, maybe not the accent, but just how good of an actor right from the get-go Gandolfini is and just shows yeah. you how much gravitas he has as a performer. Yeah. She just fails with him here. And later on, I wouldn't be, say that's the case. But in this scene, he's, he's like you're noticing that she's inexperienced, or at least I am to a point. First, it's a softball game, then it's a soccer. The sport she plays just changes randomly. Absolutely. Hannibal Lecture, son of a son of political debate, son of Mortimer political debate. Thing I remember about Polly is he had pants. <laughs> Tim likes to imagine that or likes to know or knows that you and I aren't wearing pants when we broadcast this show, Matt. And uh, Tony goes back to Milfi and tells her that he thinks he's cured, that, uh, that the medicine's working. And she's like, nope, cut the shit. The medicine doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. It's therapy. And, and he and eventually goes, I don't have time for all of that. You mean I have to come and talk to you about my problems? And she's like, cut the shit. And he goes, fine. I had a dream. My belly, my, my, I had a dream. My belly yeah. button was a Phillips head screwdriver, screw. And when it was unscrewed, my penis fell off, fell off. I picked it up, holding it, looking for the guy that worked in my Lincoln when I used to drive Lincolns. And then a bird comes off and grabs my penis and flies off with it. <laughs> and she goes, what kind of bird? A water bird? <laughs> flamingo? Is a flamingo a water bird? A pelican? <laughs> and then, this is just so funny. And Gandolfini's reaction and the way he responds to this, it's yeah. fucking hilarious. He fucking cries. He cries. And she goes, a duck? And he goes, those goddamn fucking ducks. And he yeah. just gets so pissed off. <laughs> and you're right. He cries. No. That was that was the other thing that was weird that he started crying right there. I don't see Tony crying, but <laughs> Tim likes to talk about random shit, and that's why I love you, Tim. That's that's why I love having you in the chat constantly. You always crack me up, and you always keep me on my toes, buddy. So, so yeah, it was just it's just fucking a, a ducks, and he just eventually, as Matt said, he just breaks down, realizing the ducks kind of symbolize his own family and that his family scared they're gonna leave him or something. Like yeah, that. some shit like that. And now he's gonna cry. And I thought it was really funny too, especially anyone who's actually been in therapy. Like the first time you ever cry in therapy, and you're just like, "Fuck, shit!" And you're like, snots coming down the side of your face, and then the sh the shrink or the therapist just like slowly slides the Kleenexes across the table. Just that visual of her doing that, like with one finger, she's just like, he's like, fuck, mother cock, shit, fuck. You know how he's wiping his face? <laughs> fuck me, I'm just so full of dread. I don't know what's going to happen. This is where I was saying the thing to you, uh, Matt, about everything just being so full of dread that right from the beginning, you get the sense of something greater to it all. And that's why I say the magic, that there's this, 
sense of, it's not magic isn't the best word, a sense of a mysticism, so to speak, to the entire world of the Sopranos. And in the Billy Bass thing, and the Christopher jumping inside the cat thing, and everything that's sort of a little outside of the vein of reality. That's where I think we're both right. I agree that this could happen in reality, but I also think it's like hyperized styled reality in some ways, in the way that the angles are shot, and perspectively, magically, oh, yeah. in some ways, where, you know, Tony, Polly looking at the Tony painting and it talking to him you know little things like that coming back and forth with everything in pine barrens as we'll get to that episode that happens in that episode there's a sense of uh non-reality as well as reality to it all and that's kind of the interesting magic i say the same thing about breaking bad and i think that's a similarity that both shows have and there aren't many they're both excellent shows and that's a similarity but i think that sense of and i'm not going to sit here and really just try to tell well i Maybe I prefer The Sopranos more, but I'm not going to call it a better show. No, the, and that's Matt. We've talked about this for several years, and it's it's different things. And it's to us, it's not about better or worse. I think we can say that in our top five, those two shows are very much in the mix, and it's about figuring out at different times of the year which ones at what spot. To me, right. to me, as in beginning to end, I don't know. We'll talk about Breaking Bad later. The Ducks is his family, and his family is emasculating him, says Ren. Good point. Tom says, HBO didn't really take root in the Netherlands until a few years ago. Was this the first true HBO hit? Um, They were... Gosh. Yeah, it was. Hit? Yes. I mean, I'm trying to think when Sex and the City came out. Yeah, but okay. No, you're right. Sex and the City. But... That's a different... It's a different genre. Uh, Oz was successful before this, but I wouldn't call Oz a hit. No. It, so... I, so I, I think I think Six Feet Under was before this. No, too. it wasn't. It wasn't. It Not wasn't. even part of it, was it? No, uh, you're thinking of The Wire. The Wire was... Uh, it's it basically went the went Oz Sopranos Wire and that and then Six Feet Under and and uh, no, no, you no, can, I'm calling foul. Check My me. Like check updating. me. Updating it's the. Fucking uh, Google us here. We need fact checkers. Fact right, checkers. I'm doing this. Um, Go ahead. But I do think that uh, hmm. Sex and the City is such a weird animal because I think I think it's hard not to think about the cultural cultural significance of that show and that putting HBO Entertainment on the map. Dude, every so oh, no, Tim Gesh world. says I'm wrong. Sex and the City was after this. Really interesting. At least, at least during it. Hold on. I mean, obviously during, but we're thinking about what was first and what really catapulted <laughs> HBO to what it is from a television standpoint. Then I guess it would be The Sopranos. I guess I get that's a good question. It's a really good question. And I sorry. So 1999 was when The Sopranos started. Okay, 1999. We knew that. And uh, Oz started, I think, in '96. I believe. Oz was like two years before that. Yeah, Oz was about two years before uh, before The Sopranos. So, but I would say yes, The Sopranos was the thing that turned HBO from something that had some good programs on it to the juggernaut of television it is today. I would say no, 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 no. no. Sex and the City was nineteen ninety eight is when it started. Okay, so Sex and the City. So, to, so actually, Sopranos was filmed first, but Sex and the City was on the air first. Yeah, it broadcast from ninety eight to two thousand and four. Yes, HBO Oz was HBO. Oz was HBO's first real yeah. hour long drama. That was H- that was their introduction to the series, and in a lot of ways, you can thank Oz for pretty much. Like we can talk about Tim and I can talk about Deep Space Nine and a lot of stuff, but Oz. 
I would really foundationally argue that it was the thing that influenced so many people to create shows in the way that we get the shows that we get today. I think Oz really, and the way that all those actors worked in everything so much afterwards, and in the, the way that the SVUs of the world that came from Oz, Oz is so iconic to me, but we'll talk about Oz a different day. Oz was you 90- were right about You were right about Six Feet Under. It was... 2001 to 2005. Oz was 97 to 03. And The Sopranos was 99 to 2006? 2006 or 7. 2006 or 7? Interesting. Interesting. So so to answer your question in a really long turnabout way, yes, I think The Sopranos was the show. Or Sopranos, Sex and the City for different audiences. Sex and the City, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on that, but it's easy for us to ignore the significance of that show. Yeah, but people like my wife and like any woman that ever watched the show will make reference to it all the time. It's in a sense similar. I wouldn't say a guy or a girl's version of anything, but I would say it has as as much cultural significance to the as Seinfeld does. In a sense, in the same way that certain types of guys sure. are reference, referential between women together, you know, people even, I'd say Sex and the City's right there with, the, with uh, Seinfeld as uh, cultural, in our lexicon of culture right now. I've never watched Oz. Ren, if you, if you were ever curious what all your SVU actors looked like naked, I would highly recommend it. It's a dark show. It's a little bit more set up like a theater presentation than some of the stuff you'll see more modern day. But I think it's definitely worth a watch for HBO series. So many actors that you will recognize on it. And, excuse me, especially those first three and a half seasons, halfway through season four, it is one of the best programs I've ever watched. J.K. Simmons kills it on that show and so does if you've ever watched uh lost the guy who plays mr echo and he's also the cock merchant from game of thrones this past season uh he's a big huge part of the series as well christopher maloney from svu that i mentioned uh so many different characters from the law and order series i cannot recommend uh lost enough if you can deal with violence he means oz not lost oz yes i'm sorry oz if you can deal with uh it's a depressing show there's a lot of penis in it and a lot of uh, people getting stabbed. So that was that was the first show I'd say anywhere on television with that violence ever on it. And people saw that people can deal with that violence as a TV show, not as a movie. Yeah. Right. You think of name another TV show where like that shit was happening where people were right. getting stabbed in front of you and they were raped on screen. Yeah. Ways to kill people, you know. And I have to say one thing, the only and it's not negative to me. It's a negative to some of the people I've heard complaints about Oz. I have my cousin Craig has tried to watch Oz several times. He says I, every time I watch, it, I know it's a good show, but it just bums me out, so I don't want to watch it. The, it spoiler alert for Oz, not of what's going to happen. You're they're in prison. Good things don't happen. <laughs> good things. It's not a ha- it's not a happy story in any way, shape, or form. No, yeah, Tim. As Tim said, Adavisi. Yes, our cock merchant Adavisi. And Tom, yeah, they both just <laughs> to doubled up. Adabisi, yes. He is wor- he alone is worth watching Oz, watching Adabisi. And you'll re- recognize so many actors from so many things on, uh, on Oz. It's, it's really a companion series to the, to the Wire in some ways. You get a lot of uh, people back and forth from both series. I know this is a Sopranos podcast, but 
it's worth checking out Oz. And thank you, Tom, for that awesome question that sent us on that great rant. So let's finish up this episode as we're getting close to survivor time. So, and next episode that we mentioned this, I'll mention this to you, Matt, before next time we'll be talking more directly about episode two, episode three, this being our first Sopranos episode. We're talking a little bit more about the cultural significance of the Sopranos at the time. So, uh, so yes, he ends up freaking out and realizing that Carmel and the kids are left, and now he's going to cry. Later at the barbecue, Tony and the others console Artie over the loss of his building and promise he can recoup the insurance money. We get a really funny Polly line here, uh, which is Polly's other line in the episode. And then Christopher storms, storms off in a huff after saying something stupid, like, like, oh, it's better that your place didn't blow up, uh, that people didn't stop coming in. So, which later connects to something that happens with Artie at the end of the season when, when, uh, when Olivia fucks shit up for Tony. So uh, Tony says to Artie in a scene with the two of them, I'll always help you, Artie. They hug. Then we get Christopher bitching and and, uh, Tony reluctantly showing Christopher some affection and saying, I didn't, why wasn't parented with appreciation, so I'm going to appreciate you. And Christopher immediately goes a little douchey and says, Okay, Tony, if you're going to be like that, you know, maybe I shouldn't even do this job. Maybe I should, uh, I should sell my story to my cousin's girlfriend who uh, wants to make a Hollywood script. He could say I could even play myself. And this is where we get Tony doing his first Tony thing that we see several times later on, threatening people severely he cares about. He grabs Christopher by the scuff, calls him close, goes, you fucking new to go hangry hill on me? You think I haven't had uh, offers? Do you believe him? Do you think Tony has had offers or you think he's just saying that? Lion sack of shit? Oh, yeah. He's a lion sack of shit. He's a lion sack of shit. So, and they eventually hug it out and uh, we go off to Junior and Livia driving around and we get a sort of, those young kids today and we get Junior saying, Tony doesn't give me respect. He fucked with my shit this week. Plus, he thumbs his nose to New York. We mentioned this a couple of times. Remember his crazy hair and his dope? which comes back later on and connects that Tony's first foray into the uh, crime business was selling weed. And, uh, and then, and then junior says like, now uh, homosexuals in the military. Blah, blah, blah. And then, and then right. Livia's like, shut up, shut up. And he's like, no, I'm including you. I get Ajita every day. Olivia. It's just a funny scene between the two of them. And where they're both just trying to get, you know, get their own agenda out and they're both balancing, but Livia's wrapping him slowly around her finger and he goes in. Well, you know, a lot of people are complaining about Tony and eventually we might have to do something about Tony. And she just gets a little smirk on her face and stares off into the night. That's the end of our first episode, Matt. Livia, what a douchebag, right? Holy shit. Absolutely. So like I said, she's the most she's the most on point of all of them. The very last scene of the episode, though, it goes to the pool and she shows up and it goes inside and it flashes back. Oh, to yeah, the I forgot pool, about that. Good. And I'm waiting to see if the ducks are going to be there or not. And they're so almost like waiting for the ducks to be there because that's why they would flash back to the pool. Oh, the ducks have come back and they're just not there. Yep, and, and they're just not there. Good there. point, Matt. Very good point. So here we go. We're at the end of the episode. And as we end every episode of The Sopranos, on our recap, what I want to do is do some fun facts, everybody. Let's get some fun facts. Here we go. So the pilot was filmed in 1997. The show was picked up for series almost two years later. Now, James Gandolfini's voice is distinctly different in the first episode than it would be in future episodes. After this episode, specifically, Gandolfini used a dialect coach to sound more like a mobster from New York. 
from Newark, New Jersey. Excuse me. In this episode, the pork store used as the mob hangout is named something different, as Matt pointed out a few times. It's actually a butcher's shop in Elizabeth, New Jersey, but producers soon after found an abandoned location in another part of New Jersey and converted it into Satriel's pork store. They use that site throughout the rest of the series, but mistakenly or indifferently, a quick image of Satriali's not Centriades is included in the pilot's opening montage of The Sopranos. So we also got Dre D'Amato, or however you pronounce her name, appears in the episode as unnamed hostess. Because I love her so much. Uh, she's she's a great actress. She's really awesome on Sons of Anarchy, too, if you haven't seen that. She plays a vastly different character and uh, definitely not as attractive as Adriana, but she's excellent on Sons of Anarchy, I think, especially towards the end of the series. Uh, and second episode, she becomes Adriana. She, uh, David Chase liked her so much in her small time that he wrote the part of Adriana for her. Tony is referred to as the boss as well as the Don of New Jersey, yet in the next episode, a new character of Jackie, Jackie Aprio is the acting boss, and Tony is only one of many crew captains, and we also hear something about uh, DeMeo, who is in uh, prison in the second episode. From the very first episode that features Tony Soprano's compassionate fixation with ducks to the final episode that deals with Polly's superstition and fear of cats, the symbolism of pets and animals is a series' frequent motif. Uh, and that's very true that we get into animals. We'll keep an eye on that as we go through the series. The fish. The fish, the horse, the there's yeah. there's more too. As the show's creators and the executive producer David Chase has also given writer credit on every one of the Sopranos 86 episodes. Chase also directed two of these episodes, as Matt mentioned earlier, the pilot and the highly controversial season season finale. <laughs> So, which I think that the episode before that, Blue Comet, is a really excellent episode. And I think that's part of the reason why people have a problem with Made America. Uh, Blue Comet, such a great episode. And Made America, such a great episode up until that point. So Tony's complaint to Dr. Melfi about the loss of Gary Cooper's strong silent type is in American culture becomes an often repeated re uh, regret line in the series. The opening shot of the first scene of Milfie's waiting room where Tony's triangle is shown in the frames of a sculpture. In season three, second opinion, the exact framing is replicated at this time with Carmela in the legs of the statue. The episode is titled The Sopranos in the DVD release, but the show's official site calls it The Pilot. While Tony and Livia are visiting a nursing home, the elderly people are shown watching the Rockford, Rockford Files on TV. Creator David Chase had his big break on the Rockford Files. The role of Uncle Junior is played by Dominic Chazis, who's almost went to Robert Lagario, who Loggio. No, that's Robert Loggia. That's who plays Feech Lamada. Feech Lamada, who later becomes Feech Lamada. Yep, absolutely. The scene was written for Tony Kisses Dr. Melfi, but was not filmed. A similar scene was appeared later in Pac Soprano. In the pilot episode, Father Phil is played by somebody else. In the pilot episode, Arena is also played by someone else. And Matt, that's all I got. You got anything else you want to say about this episode before we go? Jesus Christ, no. Okay, let's touch a I little bit. Let's touch a couple of things in the comment. Uh, Renwood, I loved her in Swordfish too. Oh, I loved her in Swordfish too as well. Joe Dirty Locks is in the chat. Of course, it won't let me comment from his phone, so we had to sign into his fucking computer. Good show, guys. Hey, Joe, are you wearing pants? I'm at work, so... Yep, pants are on. Okay, so Joe's at work right now. Joe, we love you. We're definitely going to get you in on some of these Soprano episodes here and there as you were around and as the timing works out and we get into some big episodes. I think on a couple of the bigger episodes, season finales, and a couple of the bigger uh, episodes I know, jo I know Joe will want to talk about, we'll definitely get you in here for a big three-way. So everybody, I think this is a good time to cut it off. So here we go.
Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into our first ever Sopranos podcast. We appreciate everyone that's checking out. If you have any questions that you want to definitely ask for episode two, you can prepare red, you know, you can pre-ask us those questions whenever you watch the episode or your comments. Send it to I got issues man at gmail.com. Or once I open the chat, you can pop it in the questions of the chat. If you want to reach me, you can get me also on Twitter at I got issues man. You can add me on Skype at I Get Issues Man. You can call, leave a voicemail at 781-990-8509. You can also, I don't know, go to issuesprogram.com, check out our stuff there. For Matt, you can find him on Google Plus at Big Daddy. I don't know the name. You made it up for me. Yeah, Big Daddy. Big Daddy Matt K. Big Daddy Matt K. So you can follow him on there if you want. We'll also start a Twitter pretty soon for Matt. Real Big Daddy or some shit like that. But guys, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Tim, Cersei ain't got shit on these bitches, says Joe Dirty Locks. <laughs> read that to Tim. I think Tim could read it. Love you guys. We'll talk to you guys next time. Joe and I will be back on Sunday, possibly Friday, for our weekly recap. I got to see if Joe's working on Friday first. Guys, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much, uh, Joe Dirty Locks. Big Daddy, looking good, my brother, says Joe. Thank you, Ren Renwood. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Clumsy Toaster. Thank you, everybody that tuned in today. Thank you, Brendan fucking Davis. Love you guys. No fucking ziti. No fucking ziti. Yeah, and if you want, like, a Twitter hashtag for this, hashtag no fucking ziti. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, guys.